Hello, everybody. Welcome to 372 Pages. We'll never get back. I am Connor Lestoka. Uh, Mike Nelson is here with me, and we are proud to present to you the final episode about the certified public, forensic certified public accountant and the cremated 64 Squares Financial Statements by Dwight David Thrash, CPA, FCPA, CGMA. Mike, are you happy that we have made it to the home stretch? Yeah, this was uh, this last reading. It was bittersweet. There's a lot of bitter in there, though. I am. I got a little. Uh, I got a little uptight with Dwight David. Um, <laughs> the warm, fuzzy feelings that I had at the beginning have, you know, they're a little more complex now. I don't sure. know if you feel the same. Sure, but it was a. Uh, by the end of the book, I, I felt like I had been satisfied. I felt like uh, there was. You know, he tried my patience. Uh, a bit in the in the middle third, and uh, that that went on into this final third. But I he he really he he didn't like pull off the ending, but I was satisfied by it. Yeah, and and I I will agree that like I said, it was uh, you know bittersweet. But the sweet was, I mean, <laughs> as I told you, one of my favorite reading experiences <laughs> of all time. Now it was short lived for sure, yeah, right? But uh, but but this that brief thing was one of my favorites, and we'll yeah. explain obviously. And a lot of people felt the same way. I'm going to read you some of the uh, email subject lines that we we got since the last episode. Uh, we have an all caps. I need answers. Followed by three exclamation points. Mm-hmm. We have one that ju- we have one that just says checkmate, which uh, obviously uh, comes into play. We have when is a plot not a plot. We have one that is just as you said, my favorite sentence in all literature. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm not alone. That's good. And then we have one that just says 64 circles of hell." So uh, people are people have responded incredibly to this book. There has been uh, um, people have have delved into the to the world of 64 squares. People have uh, we got someone who created a role playing game uh, based on based on Dwight David Thrash's work uh, this this past week. People have. <laughs> people have been been continuing to read on in the series uh on their own like multiple what? people oh Ooh, yeah what kind of madness is this people wanted to see if uh, uh if if he improved as a writer or they they wanted to see if there was any sort of character development so all the books are available free if you have kindle unlimited so people have been uh just checking out what happened to the next one or skipping ahead to the final book in the series so far to see uh, see what has happened, we'll, we'll get to that later. But people people are people are all in on Dwight David Thrash CPA FCPA CGMA. Did you check? Did he get the uh, the three seventy two bump? There was definitely a bump. I'm not sure where he's at now, but you know, I was looking at it and just seeing how much uh, how 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 much his sales rank was was ahead of any book that I've ever written um, in terms of it. It being it was down into like the the the, the four digits. You know, like he was. Uh, you know, a, a top 10,000 book. I mean, in, in the accounting categories, he was just dominating. Um, he was dominating, you know, <laughs> textbooks that cost $300 and um, all that all that stuff you'd expect. So I'm uh, not sure if he's going to have noticed that by this point in time, but, uh, you know, you're welcome for the uh, increased royalties this month um, and maybe in, in perpetuity um, if people are, are, are reading these on Kindle Unlimited. But it is generally uh, accepted that one should tip in these uh, uh, instances. <laughs> yes. Dwight David, if you are listening, yeah, it's just you know, courtesy. It, it is tax season, so he might be a little busy 
um, with his <laughs> many clients um, before he's, he's had time to check these statements. But I'm imagining he's gonna he's gonna do the uh, the eye popping out effect when he when he checks his his next uh, Kindle Direct statement check. But uh, he and everyone he knows will be busy because I assume everyone he knows is also a CPA or studying to be a CPA or wishes to be a CPA. Yeah, it would be. It's one of those. It's like a caste system there, where um, you know the the more letters you have after your name, the the uh, inner circles of the parties you're able to attend um, <laughs> mentorships. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I am. I am looking forward to uh, just seeing you know how this continues to go. Like whether people keep discovering these. Like I said, this was something that, that one of our listeners had discovered on his own and recommended. So the the, the internet as a whole does not know these, and I feel like it's only going to uh, only good things are going to happen from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but, but um, uh, oh, we should say about our departments. We obviously aren't going to have fan fiction so yeah little taps for fan fiction because uh this was i think he creates some of the best you people <laughs> I really so. rose to the occasion um, people people suggested that we should have just like had had real passages from the other books in the series and so maybe maybe if we uh maybe we can do that as a bonus segment or something just to see what happens because there's a there's a book about virtual reality that sounds absolutely ludicrous um, there's a, uh, there's one about, uh, Halloween. So maybe, maybe we'll do that as a bonus just cause people were having a lot of fun with it and it ended so quickly, but virtual reality is you maybe, uh, introduce him to one James Wen and those yeah. two can uh, collab. It sounded so similar. There was a whole courtroom of people that were forced to wear virtual reality glasses in order to like see the virtual evidence that was being presented. So he's oh. nothing if not a, uh, an idea man. Well, I can't wait to see how he describes the, you know, his grasp of describing physical things and uh, really bringing them to life and having them pop in your mind is uh, so good. So I'm sure he he handles that uh, well. Yeah, I am sure it is. Uh, it, it's saw lawnmower man in 1994, and you know, <laughs> there, there we go. Or maybe maybe he watches it weekly. Uh, maybe he relates to it. I don't know. Um, so let's see. We're going to start off, but yeah, we, we don't know no fanfic, but we got some good emails. We got some really dumb sentences, so we'll be we'll be eager to uh, explore those. But we have a lot of turf to cover, and uh, I think you'll agree that the the best stuff in this is 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 backloaded. Like um, yeah, yeah, we get uh, we get some more as they call it in music recitative, just reciting his his bullcrap uh, <laughs> right up front. So we'll quickly go through that. Do you have anything for? Uh, William Jackson and Rosie O'Neill. William Jackson and Rosie O'Neill. So it's like re- recapping this, knowing what we know by having finished the book. The the idea that we were two thirds of the way through, and then we we're just getting introduced to William Jackson and Rosie O'Neill, the exter- external auditors who obviously have no bearing on the out on the plot, have no uh, bring absolutely nothing to the table, is is a frustrating thing in hindsight. Yeah. Um, I guess my only takeaway from this chapter was um, I had not heard of it until now, but I am now terrified of a material misstatement. That was oh, my yeah. only thing. He just he just drills that into that as though that that is, you know, basically it's like, uh, you know, testicular cancer or something. It was the worst <laughs> thing that could possibly happen. So I thought it was a little, little ironic. Um, most of the time, the external auditors perform audits because it gives an entity, the people that rely on the financial statements, that highest level of confidence that the financial statements do not reasonably contain material misstatements. And so after all we've read, after all we've uh, you know, underlined in red, uh, the idea that he's concerned about material misstatements 
uh, in this book is, is, is bitterly ironic. Um, and, but yeah, you know, he goes on to, uh, he, he says that William Jackson has been auditing for many years with the accounting firm TTAB, which stands for total tax auditing bookkeeping. And, uh, the second time we, we are explained what TTAB stands for. I just wrote down every time <laughs> and less, if you turn the page, every time TTAB is mentioned, you're informed that it stands for total tax auditing bookkeeping. Yeah, it makes for one of, I mean, I have it marked as dumb sentence. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit of a cheat because it's two sentences. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'll, I'll just, I, I won't even read it, but let's just imagine him saying, what is it? Total uh, tax, total tax total auditing. Tax auditing. Bookkeeping. Uh, and then he goes into the, his I Titus Uno routine in one block of text that made me just like, all right, buddy, this, <laughs> this love affair is over. Stop this right. madness now. Uh, it, it makes for an, an insane paragraph of reading, which <laughs> I will not tax, do right here. Total tax auditing bookkeeping is like a combo of like those businesses that used to try to get to the front of the phone book by being like 6A plumbing mm-hmm. and like SEO. Like it's a terrible business name. Total tax auditing bookkeeping. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it does not roll off the top. Really catchy. <laughs> um, but the uh, other other notable thing I had was just Rosie O'Neill the, with the second auditor. Uh, he mm-hmm. says, has the friendliest voice and is great at getting people to tell her things that they would not tell other people. And uh, my, my instinct here was just this is a huge, huge slap in the face to Drew Sampson. Because if that's you recall, what I thought. Like, come on. Yeah, I went back and looked. Uh, Drew Sampson does stay up to date. Because Drew Sampson has a friendly voice and people like to talk to him. But uh, we, we learned that by no means is he the friendliest voice because Rosie O'Neill uh, has the friendliest voice in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. There is a hierarchy of accountants. And obviously, is it Pam who's the greatest in the world? Uh, yes. Or possibly the greatest who's ever lived? Pam Valentine is the greatest uh, certified public accountant that has ever been or ever will be. Right. And so, so I guess there could be someone who bests Rosie O'Neill. She currently has the friendliest voice, but in in some you know unknown future, there might be a better one. But there is no better accountant, nor will there ever be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I just thought of like what what is it about a friendly voice? I, I picture you know what's I don't know Winnie the Pooh. He kind of has a friendly voice. It's just like oddly. Yeah. People just spill secrets to that guy, <laughs> right? The yeah, the, the the idea of a friendly voice is something that yeah you think about for a, appealing to a three year old or Mister Rogers, you know, like yeah, something that friendly. like as an adult you find like a little off putting if someone is a little too friendly. Like you're like what is what is what is going on here? They're you're, they're talking to me like I'm a child. Uh, I don't really want to want to tell you things I would not tell other people. Like. Um, you know, that's like a psychologist, I guess. You don't you don't picture them having a, a friendly voice. They're just sort of uh, clinical, I guess. Yeah, or, you know, a car salesman puts on his best friendly voice. You're still pretty, <laughs> eh, I don't know. Well, very off-putting. Why, why have you called me by my first names three times in two sentences? Right, and that handshake where you grip to the back of my elbow, I did not like that, sir. <laughs> um, well, the other thing that I just noted about this, and it, it, it is it is bears out throughout the rest of the the final pages of the book, I felt like the the typos and the carelessness were sort of stacking up. Almost as if he he saw the end in sight and was sort of uh, 
you know, he, he's got his buddies in the other room, like looking at their watch, like we're getting to happy hour and he's just sort of banging out, um, banging out his, his, his final words here. Like it, it was, the book has not been, been clear of that so far, but I felt like they, they definitely started to stack up more at the end. Yeah. They were more missing words and yes. wrong, completely <laughs> wrong words, which I don't know. Is that still qualify as a typo? I always think of, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking. I'm not sure. I guess it is, you know, like it's just a typographical error of some sort where he just meant to put the word in. But they do sort of rise to a high level of typo, I would say. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there was like just a, uh, uh, you know, a week where he had l- less business than normal. And but he knew that there was a big a big fish coming in at the end of that week. So he had to get this done, maybe. So. That could be what happened, but I, I, we'll read some of them. But I just think that there was definitely a ton more uh, as we approached the end. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, yeah. I don't think there's much else to talk about with those two, since there's <laughs> there clearly isn't because he never mentions them again. No, it's just cut and paste till the end, and then we're on to chapter sixteen. And uh, a slightly notable thing in this, but you'll have to. I didn't have my paper copy with me, so back me up. It looks like there's a different weird smaller font at the end of the chapter head does that yes. carry into that yes that just made me that you know a little ring a bell a little red flag is that something or <laughs> once again is it him rushing along right well it's it, it's re, it's repeated for the next like four chapters it's the the other important employees of 64 squares uh the nature extent and timing of the explosion of 64 squares. So yeah, I have no idea what is happening with that. It's a, it, it's, it's off putting to say the least, but it, it appears to have no actual um, bearing that, but it is consistent. So he must've just copied and pasted the same chapter header and replaced uh, the first part of it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. He just, yeah. Who knows? Why are we trying to get into the mind? Of Roy <laughs> Dave? Well, the, this chapter starts off with something that I, I think everyone was was excited to see, with that the Xerox repair guy is now getting top billing uh, with all the other important employees. Because this is now the – he goes into the list of the uh, employees that were suspects from the very beginning of the book, which uh, previously included the CEO, CAO, you know, CFO, all those guys. Now that we've, we've got all the other employees out of the way, and boy, have we, because we spent about 10 chapters detailing their personal lives and families – uh, we're now free to delve into all the other guys. And so the Xerox uh, repair guy, who we've, we've long suspected as a, as a prime suspect, uh, we get to examine why he might be. And uh, that was something I enjoyed. The Xerox repairer can play an important role in recovering old data. The copy machines have a memory chip that can reprint what have been printed since the machine was bought from the manufacturer. Very few people know this fact except the copy machine repairer. Isn't technology great or what? <laughs> So that was the one that I just said, but he, he repeats that line later in quotes. Yes. And yes. I, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Who is saying that? Uh, it's a, it's a word salad of his Titus Uno for like three repetitions. And then saw a copy machine repair perform this task for another one of my previous clients. Isn't technology great or what? In quotes. So- yeah, is it maybe it's something that he like saw on a on a meme that like was attributed to Abraham Lincoln or something like, and so he's like he's quoting that as if it's a well known uh, you know type of quote that we'd all recognize and nod our heads to. I have no idea. Yeah, that uh, that that threw me for a loop. So yeah, in a in a in a better or you know in a in a dumber book, uh, if that's 
possible. I, uh, th- you know, maybe something would have hinged on this this little known fact that Xerox machines are evidently storing everything that's ever been copied on them. But uh, nope, we just we're going to wave our hand and, and move on to people like the janitor who had said it would be obvious if the janitor to the janitor if anything was out of place or looked strange. So if mm-hmm. I said if anything looked strange. Um, you you clearly need more information about this this odd concept of of looking strange, right? Like right, that's not yeah. something. So he he parenthetically adds in that something was there that should not be there, or that something was missing that should be there. So I'm d- eternally grateful because I was thrown by this this weird concept of looking strange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are the things we love him for the explanations <laughs> of. Of all things that are very obvious and in front of our eyes get six paragraphs and then uh, things that are baffling get quotes around them. Uh, isn't technology great or what? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like he's a professor who's like saying something and uh, he notices hands, you know, shooting up in the back of the class. He's like, all right, I already see the hands. So I'm just going to barge on ahead. I know you're, you're wondering what I meant by look strange. And it's that in that there's something that was not there that should be there. <laughs> the, the other person that I liked was the security guard who uh, make their presence known so that people will feel safe and so that people will not act crazy, such as draw a gun for no apparent reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had, that's one of my dumb sentences, of course. Uh, yeah, for no apparent reason. <laughs> The security guards are, are are watching a guy just like you know reach into his uh, trench coat and pull out a gun, and they're like, "Wait a second! Oh no, I that you know he, no he's he's perfectly uh, perfectly legitimate in drawing that gun. There there is an apparent reason for that. He's 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 <laughs> you know he's about to shoot a bunch of people. That's clearly his reason, right? Well, here right away we get that uh, there's no explanation or follow up on people drawing guns for no apparent reasons, which is a thing none of us have ever <laughs> have no understanding of. Uh, uh, and yet, no elucidation on this. Nothing. Yes. Just right. uh, I, have a, I have a what the hell here about uh, Jack Starr, my favorite no. character, yes. returning. Uh, the chief executive officer, Jack Starr, enjoys working with the security guards because, as mentioned above, he pictures himself as being the sheriff of 64 squares. <laughs> no argument there. The security guards let him do whatever he wants to do because he is their boss. He always tells them, who is the sheriff of 64 squares? <laughs> he, <laughs> he tells them that. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's all the explanation they need to let him do anything he wants. <laughs> which I assume is like, you know, touching them inappropriately or oh, sure. know, making them do go go to the basement and get the left-handed smoke shifter and all of that kind of James Spader stuff. and secretary, like uh, <laughs> yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like. But yeah, I, I love telling people questions. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I, I, I go around and I, you know, does anyone have any questions they want to tell me? You know, make, make sure your voice lilts up to indicate that it's a question when you tell me that, because otherwise, you know, get the hell out of here. I could see his sort of heated conversations with other members of the staff. Like, listen, let me tell you something. Who is the sheriff of 64 squares? What? Enough uh, said, sir. What? Yeah, but what, you, what were you going to tell me? That was a you asked me, I mean, you are the sheriff of 64 squares. That's your catchphrase. But what do you, what yeah, are you going to tell me? I I had a professor that would do that. He would ask rhetoricals and sometimes they were supposed to be answered and sometimes they were not. And you had no idea which was which. <laughs> You'd go to tentatively answer and he'd keep talking and be irritated that you spoke. And then other times would go, come on, people. What am I standing up here for? He's like, come on. 
It was a good <laughs> long con. You were irritated by it? You didn't let him do whatever he wanted to you? <laughs> when he told me I am the sheriff of this college. <laughs> was one of his questions, isn't technology great or what? <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, he goes through those. That was a CEO Jack Star interacting with the uh, security guards. He goes on to more people that, that work there that, you know, in, 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 in truth could have been could have been suspects, but it included the cafeteria workers. Uh, who um, the, you, they might have they might have uh, overheard something because people are very relaxed while they are eating, and sometimes statements or comments are made a little louder than expected and are overheard inadvertently. Yep, one of my favorite sentences of all time. So people who are eating get so relaxed <laughs> that they that they start talking louder than expected, and people overhear them. This is mm-hmm. a, a, a experience that every human has encountered. Um, you're sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner. You get so relaxed that you just your voice rises to a level that is louder than, louder than normal. And you give away secrets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was um, how uh, also Julius and Ethel Rosenberg got caught, I think. They were right. sitting down to a, uh, you know, a, a New York deli sandwich. And then. Well, in fact, um you have to be a Patreon person to do this, but we have a little uh, we have a little bonus. Oh, uh, yeah! I've got I I came across actual um, interview footage of uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who oh. gave up he gave up John Gotti. Oh, yeah, monster um, who flipped. Yeah, famously flipped, and I think he wrote a best selling book about it after the fact. But uh, I found uh, the taped initial interview with him, and uh, so. Go ahead and, and listen to that. That'll be a bonus in the. Oh, Patreon all right, cool. <laughs> all right. We'll check that out. Um, but so, yeah, that's it's a little known little known fact about human psychology. You want you, if you have one of those low talkers that you you can never hear what they're saying. Just give them some food, and uh, they'll relax so much that they'll start talking louder than expected. Um, also, where where is the most relaxing place to eat food? Is at a uh, office building cafeteria. That's yes. where I just like sink into my plastic seat with the sharp edges and just ah. Yeah, this Jello salad is so good. I'm going to talk loudly and give away secrets. <laughs> a place that you're only there because they've made a corporate policy that you're not allowed to eat lunch at your desk. So you're just like you're in and out as fast as humanly can be imaginable. Um, the flickering uh, lights from the overheads are just so soothing. Mm. You uh, you have a guy who sits down next to you that like you don't particularly like or care for, but like he is in your department, so you, you have to be civil to him while you're there, even though you're only going to talk about work. Like even though this is your break to not do that for thirty minutes, and you eat your macaroni salad and you go, oh, when I was seven, I stole the milk money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget a guy. I mean, this is n- neither here nor there, but the, the the job I had before Rift Tracks for about a year was a glasses lens company. And there was a guy that would just, uh, he had, I mean, not to, he's never going to hear this. He had been like touring, you know, the Southeast Asia or something, doing some cool tour. And then he came and was working there. And every day he would just open up a pack of like Oscar Mayer deli meat turkey and and would eat it with a knife and fork. Like, I think he was doing, you know, he was a, he was a pioneer of the, you know, low carb, that sort of thing. So he was just eating protein and and I would just, I never said anything about it. I just like sort of looked at it, but it was the most off-putting lunch I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) What do you do it at his desk? 
No, no. They would, I mean, he would come join you in the in the little sad little lunchroom and uh, would just like open that up, put it out onto a plate and just like carve it up like it was a steak. Wow. That is uh, – it's either a low-carb thing or it's just a cry for help. Like, <laughs> Right. It was just, uh, you know, hey, man, you really keeping, uh, keeping the weight off with that? What? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's – that's what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I confess, I've I've eaten a few pieces of rolled up meat shamefully over the sink while no one's watching, and that's my <laughs> lunch. But uh, <laughs> I don't parade that in front of anyone. Yeah. It, it's, it was the knife. And just like, you know, just like you're, you're when a politician eats their pizza with a knife and fork and everyone makes fun of them, or uh, there was a Seinfeld where someone was cutting up a Snickers bar. It just... Adding that extra aspect to it, you know. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, having having demeaned that former coworker of mine, I think we could probably move on. Um, but so yeah, this ends with just more copy and pasting of that list of employees. We're going to get the copy and pasting of all the gadgets yet again. Um, so that that really padded this out. Someone speculated that he was doing a Nano Rimo National Novel Writing Month and needed to hit his fifty fifty thousand words. Uh, you know. I'm not sure if that checks out timeline wise. I suppose we could look at that. I think it's every November, but uh, he really, the, 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 the repetition and copy paste really stacked up in these final chapters. Yeah, it got, uh, it got difficult to keep one's focus, try to look peek in between the cuts and paste and see if he added any gems. Yes. And uh, which, you know, keep that in mind as we come to the end of this book that uh, <laughs> <laughs> it becomes very important. The technique of reading him, gets yes. more difficult and uh, some things can be missed but absolutely uh, but anyway chapter 17 or you, do you have anything more chapter, chapter 17 the reason for the explosion of 64 squares now we're getting to the meat of it kids this yeah. is good stuff <laughs> yes uh so yeah i started at some point in time i started writing down like you know 20 pages to go because we as we as we go through these we we start to get you know reasons for the explosion which does not contain the reason for the explosion by no means there's no uh there's no details revealed really about the the perpetration of this until the final two chapters but i started noting how many chapters were how many pages were left to cover what is in theory the the major plot points of this but um the the re he these these last next couple chapters he sort of um does the thing of telling you what he's going to tell you, like the third grade science project style. He says, he starts listing like, what was the reason for the crime? Uh, was the cat burglar terrorist an angry employee? Was he a third party or independent? And he, he, he asks these questions that if you've ever looked into a mystery or a crime, you do not need stated to you. Right. It's like, in other what? words, who's got a motive and everyone understands what the word motive is. You don't yes. need to. You yes. don't need to list things that could be motives. They're, they're, <laughs> they're kind of be, before you in the word motive. Yes. And the one that he focuses on a lot is, was there means to do this? And there was. Yeah. Because like, he blew up the was building. <laughs> it was, yeah. The, the crime was committed. He had the means to do it. He, <laughs> but here's, uh, he uses these declaratives now that really throw me off because he says, what was the reason for the crime? In quotes. I guess that's him talking to himself and then states it. The main reason for the criminal terrorist action was to bring 64 squares to its knees and make it impossible for 64 squares 
to continue as a successful multi-billion dollar corporation and therefore cease to exist <laughs> by blowing up the 64 square skyscraper. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. That is that is the motive. Whereas he before he doesn't say this is uh you know, this is a big twist in the case because we thought it was the the kidnapping of the world's greatest accountant. You sure. Know, so there's no stopping to go, you know. Uh, wow, what a breakthrough. He just takes <laughs> it as dry as a bone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you have to kind of read it twice. Oh, so that that's it? So we, we're, we're done? The investigation, you know, it's we got to be getting to a close now. Because if you know the reason, then you know the person, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think that at some point in time, the, the timeline of, of revealing the, the criminal is going to be, you know, presented as an almost ancillary detail to all of this, uh, just sort of clinically labeled. And then he goes on to describe his deposition. But, you know, I think he's, he sort of is saying this as if uh, he and us already know who this is, you know. Like the, 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 knowing who the person is does not change any of this for him. He's just presenting us this this information to uh, like like an after the fact type of thing instead of acting like it's a new reveal. Right. But then uh, I don't know, this is a paragraph or two later uh, as he's going through, like you said, he makes the list. Then he goes through the reasons. So he says it was the, the reason was the, uh, you know, to bring it to its knees, et cetera. And then the next sentence or was the cat burglar terrorist an angry employee? This person could be an angry employee who wanted to get back at 64 squares by blowing up 64 squares. So where, what, where are we? Who, right. What, what is the motive? I also did make a note at this one. Like I, I, I read that and I just want to make sure you're, you're happy with your work at Rift Tracks. Uh, Connor, is there, any, is there anything you want to, want to tell us? I mean, we only have, we have one floor here in San Diego. Um, but uh, I guess you could parachute to the top of the Rift Tracks building. Um, so yeah, I mean the the motive is there, the means. I mean, the, do do I have the means? That's the real question, I suppose, uh, and the the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be hard to bring this place down. I'm not encouraging <laughs> it. I'm just saying it's, it's well, the uh, the the. Uh, this is another one. The uh, do I have the opportunity? Because the cat burglar terrorist had the opportunity to carry out this criminal act because the 64 square skyscraper was indeed blown up. Like, what are we talking about at this point in time? Like, we, we, we're uh, for the past, you know, seventy-eight pages. We're all we've been talking about is this stupid building that was blown up, and we're 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 now like going into the. It's like a, uh, it's like a weird uh, philosopher who's doing a Socratic dialogue to, that's confirming the basis things to like you know. Well, we must agree that uh, you know. I think therefore I am type of thing. Uh, otherwise, you know, we can't ground this in any other, uh, we, we need to, we need to prove that basic thing. So he's at this point in time, proving that the building was still blown up. Yeah. And doing it over and over again and not coming up with a shorthand, like, you know, a, a, a philosophical term, like a priori or anything like that. <laughs> consistently repeating the, the very basis statements yeah. without using any kind of acronym or anything. Yeah, so he's he 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 goes into the to the thing at the uh, at the end where like people uh, you know uh, Dina Hope and uh, Veronica Jackson and uh, Drew Sampson you know they they get their little their bullet points again, um, but he says like you know Drew Sampson will have to talk to people in his friendly voice to determine was there means motive and opportunity like well there was means like Drew Sampson does not need his friendly voice to determine that there was means the building ceases to exist. Uh, he says that Dina Hope will need to write programs that will help to answer the following questions. What was the reason for the crime? 
And that one, that just seemed like an overreach to write a computer program to do that. Like that's, I know she's the world's greatest hacker and a, a genius, but like that might be something better left to the uh, Royal Mounted Police, CIA, FBI, state police, cyber police, et cetera. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And he, he keeps stating like, you know, that, that we'll have to determine the motive or whatever. And I, I guess it's possible that there was no motive. Like, you know, some, some men just want to see the world burn type of thing, sure. but even that's a motive, right? I mean, even anarchists, sure, have, anarchy, yeah. yeah, they have a complete motive uh, for right. it. It's not sure. just, well, it's either this or buying gum. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, this was a, this was something that stood out to me um, as a, uh, just, just questioning, questioning the, the uh, leadership, I guess, uh, you know, Davy. Uh, Jones and uh, or Davy Bond, all those guys. Uh, he says that third, a list of known cat burglars and terrorists that are located in Vancouver, Canada, was compiled so they could be brought in to be questioned by the interrogators. Mm-hmm. So there's a list. There's a list they made that are of known cat burglars and known terrorists, and they the I guess the terrorists are just going about their business like. The cops sort of drive by and they're like, we've got eyes on you, like known terrorists. And then he says the list has to be analyzed to determine who needs to be brought in to be questioned by the interrogators. And then all of the people that were brought in were questioned until the interrogators were satisfied with their answers. Yeah, I guess they are. Are you a terrorist? (laughs) Come on, Ron, you know, I am. I'm on your list. Well, so, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, this was something that was touched upon in the in the dark web reenacting community. Oh, really? Um, okay. Well, sure. They like it's a it's a it's a ludicrous <laughs> scenario. I am not sure how they do things north of the border, but if there are just known terrorists walking around, it seems like someone that you ought to probably apprehend. But uh, so they 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 explored uh, this in great detail. Um, I, I, I downloaded the clip. Let's listen to that. Well, 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 if it isn't Edward Hansen, the B.C. Butcher. Now, that's not very nice, Edward. Of course, I don't expect nice from one of the ten most notorious known terrorists in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You hijacked that WestJet flight on Thanksgiving, didn't you? Executed 13 passengers. Uh, Screw you, pig. I'm not saying another word without my lawyer. (laughs) Is that so? Well, you know what? I guess that's probably a good idea. After all, with a lawyer here, I wouldn't be able to do this. Oh, God. Oh, I think you broke my nose. You're scum, Hanson. You've been gallivanting around town as a known terrorist ever since you torched that hospital back in 09. Now the 64 squares building is blown to rubbish and I want answers. Oh, oh, I I didn't do it. Mm. Yeah. And why should I believe you? You're a known terrorist. You're still somehow a member of free society. All the pieces add up. I, I have an alibi. Then sing, Canary. I, I was driving back from a Little League tournament that night. I coached my son's team. Uh, I heard about the explosion on the radio. Oh. Oh, well, well then you're free to go. I, f- free, to, free to go? Sure. 
I'm, I'm satisfied with your answers. Hey, have a great day. Uh, but but hey, I, hey, hey, don't make me reconsider. Okay. Well, uh, uh, hope you catch him. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, and uh, hey, we're keeping an eye on you. I know. Those 13 victims' families would like nothing more than to find a reason to put you away. I know. <laughs> All right, then. Darlene will get you processed. Uh, send in the next known cat burglar or, or terrorist. So, wow. yeah, that's how it went down. It, uh, the, you know, they're, they're working by the book. You know, they're just they're trying to check those boxes and make sure that, uh, you know, they don't apprehend the wrong terrorist. You know, yeah. I, I also thought about it when I first read it is, you imagine like the, the uh, police waiting room as the cat burglars get brought in and the terrorists are sitting next to them. <laughs> they got to be going like, come on, Dave, you ca- come on, Bond. What the hell is this? <laughs> right, exactly. Or like the terrorists are doing like the new fish thing to the cat burglars, like a cat burglar broke in and stole some some kid's Nintendo Switch. And then there's a guy who like, you know, blew up a uh, <laughs> blew up a football stadium. Right. And they're like, well, not really the same uh, caliber here. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, a big uh, shift in the end of these next chapters. I think it started already, but I, I've maybe just noticed it now, is uh, Veronica Jackson's role changes mm. quite a bit. I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. So it did. Uh, what was she doing before? She was... Uh, Veronica scheduling. Jackson set, sets up meetings. Yeah. And now... Veronica Jackson, make sure that we have everything that we need in order to discover important information about the reason for the explosion of 64 squares. Yeah, I just she's totally checked out. She's just updating Pinterest all day. Yeah, you got everything you need. Yeah, take. Yeah, you guys are fine. Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, the lobby's filled with terrorists and cat burgers. I think you got this. (laughs) But uh, but it then changes. uh, It changes in like a chapter or two um, in by end end of chapter 20. And then it happens. He he pastes this like twice more Uh, like her either she or her agent like put in a call because they were like, you are really underselling my my client here. And it upgrades to Veronica Jackson uses her friendly personality, education, experience, and vast network of friends to get the team everything the team needs. It's like she wrote her own Wikipedia entry. (laughs) There's a note next to it like, this needs to be rewritten. It violates our standards. It's like when someone on Saturday Night Live gets upgraded from like featuring uh, to an actual cast member. Right. but yeah, so that was that was fun to see just to, to her her role just or whatever whatever the hell he imagined her role being changing as as the book moves on. But um, yeah, I think after the after they're interviewing terrorists and letting them go, we move on to chapter eighteen, which is the ext- nature, extent, and timing of the explosion, mm-hmm. uh, which is very much uh, very similar to the other thing. He's sort of just he's he's trying to tell you what a what a normal person would explain in the in the context of an actual book. Um, he sort of is he tells you uh, how it happened is that uh, the the guy came in and opened up all of the um, safes that were guarding these uh, like recipes and secrets. Um, in order so that they would be uh, burnt up, cremated when the when the explosion happened. 
Yeah, I, I thought we were told earlier that it was computers that had those things locked down, but I guess it's just physical safes. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. They were all opened by the cat burglar so that everything in them was uh, destroyed. Uh, so he starts, he, he says that in some cases it will be impossible to be replaced because some of the items were originals and can never be replaced. So I'm not sure. I mean, it sounded like, you know, he, he said that secret recipes were being stored, which you would imagine you would have more than one of. They, I don't know if they were storing, you know, priceless artwork, like there was a, an original Van Gogh in there or something. But um, that's a damn shame if there was everything that could not be replaced. He goes on to say that there were that that many of those things were worth billions of dollars. Um, which, I, I like, read once that um, uh, the the makers of I forget which distiller distillery, let's just say Jack Daniels or something, that the yeast is you know very important, mm-hmm. and so they have like seven uh, you know mothers of this yeast stored in secret locations around <laughs> the nation. And uh, the the head distiller said, that's the thing that keeps me awake at night. Like I wake wow. up going, God, I hope all of our yeast samples are okay. So, I mean, I hope hope they didn't store them in the 64 <laughs> squares vaults because they're, right. they're ruined. He'd, he'd see, he, that would be quite a caper. I would read Titus Zuno investigating that one. Uh, yeah. I would just, yeah, have, have, hearing him say the word yeast over and over would, would get kind of grating. <laughs> uh, but he, yeah, he says some people get very upset when information is being kept from them. 64 Square stores top secret information worth billions of dollars each. And so once again, those were top secret recipes, pending patents, inventions, formulas, advanced technology, uh, computer programs, medical research studies and private space plans. So each of those worth billions of dollars each. So the, the amount of uh, economic devastation caused by this is, is, is unimaginable really. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I noted, I had to look back to see if private space plans was a thing that had been mentioned before. <laughs> and it was, and I, I noted, man, that's, that's terrible of us to not have noted that private space plans yeah, are so worth that's like, billions of dollars. That's like SpaceX. That's like private, you know, people, yeah. people going to, wow. Again, uh, we'd love to, love to hear what his uh, understanding of that uh, oh, yeah. universe would be like. <laughs> Uh, here's the most baffling paragraph in, in a long time. The timing of the crime. Why did this happen now? Did someone break the chain of command? I don't know how that <laughs> follows from one. If so, who? Like the questions above, these questions also have to be answered before the guilty criminal can be protected by the prosecutor that has a great case to bring against the criminal or in this case, a terrorist. A lot going on there. There's a lot to unpack. First of all, the questions above. Is he referring <laughs> to previous chapters the previous questions chapter. or the ones he just asked? We start to get this a lot. He says, as previously referred to, and it might be something that, com- that comes in like the last two paragraphs of the book. It might be something that happened in the first paragraph, in the first chapter. But what is, I, is this a typo? The guilty criminal can be protected by the prosecutor? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Short answer, and it, re- it reoccurs. Uh, I am—I have to imagine it was meant to say prosecuted by the prosecutor. I guess so. Um, oh, that brings me back. You—you you said uh, you know typos stacking up here. Yes. Here is one that took me. It took me a second. Uh, it says this: the programs should a sower these questions and other questions that need to be answered and. Yes. Only from, only from context. You know, he's not talking about someone spreading seed over the ground, a sower. It is, of course, answer. Answer. Yes. 
Um, you, I, I like this part because it was, it was just a rare emotion from Titus Uno, who has been mostly stoic and sort of observing all of this with a steely gaze. The extent of the explosion is catastrophic in that everything that was in the 64 squares building was blown to bits or totally destroyed. It was bl- blown to rubbish. Let's not understate this. Yeah, right. This is a terrible crime because nothing positive can come out of this attack on innocent people and on private property. So... <laughs> Wow. Getting on your high horse there, buddy. Yeah, really. (laughs) Who are you to judge me? (laughs) Yeah. You know, every every, uh, dark cloud is a silver lining. Not for this guy. Not for this act. Um, It goes on. The timing of 64 squares skyscraper building being blown up by the cat burglar terrorist will never be a great event. Every employee of the 64 square skyscraper building will never be the same again. I know. I, will never be a great event. Yeah. I don't know. He's shaming the timing of the <laughs> Look, I'm sorry timing the explosion. You'll never be a great event. Yeah. Oh, but I wanted to be a great my timing yeah. wanted to be a great event. Listen, listen, timing. Here's here's the yeah. uh 64 Squares Chess Museum annual chess championships where humans play the role of the chess pieces but leave the board in a nonviolent manner. Here it's up here and you're mm-hmm. way down here. In terms of a great event. Yep. I thought my timing was good. I'm telling you like it is. Um, But then every employee of the 64 square skyscraper building will never be the same again. Settle down. (laughs) The gift shop cashier, I'm guessing, uh, who was earning, you know, $8 Canadian an hour, probably going to be okay. Right. They're probably not going to be, you know, bolting up uh, in bed at night, um, lamenting their lost gift shop. That's my but, that's my take on it. Uh, yeah. Do you have any idea what this means? I mean, I know we're. <laughs> I, I don't. I can't even in his world. Is you that know a what I mean? About like the book is that a, about the book? Like as a whole? Like you just, just the the great event will never be a great. Does he mean something else? Like what? The timing will never be a great event. Well, first of all, those don't. I don't even understand how that matches. But is he just saying? I feel like he's trying to say something else, and I can't get to it. So if anybody am, has any ideas, please let me know. Yeah, it's very puzzling. I, and I don't know if it's a, uh, I mean, we're, you know, as we've established, it's the one of the the greatest, sorry, the one of the most uh, severe terrorist attacks in Canadian history. So I don't know if he's trying to put it on that sort of scale, but it's it, it's baffling. Um, um, now, here's a here's a one of his, um, you don't say kind of sentences. <laughs> The lives of innocent people are interrupted because computers and files at their homes are confiscated by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, etc. Yeah. It is amazing how this information can help the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Massive illegal search and seizures. It's amazing how helpful they can be. <laughs> like, we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. Just a ton of innocent people just like, you know, door door stomping and coming in and, you know, children hiding under the beds, (laughs) screaming and weeping as mothers hold their children. Computers are just ripped from the walls and taken off. It's it's amazing how that helps. I, I liked about regarding the RC, uh, MP, et cetera. They, they said it is also important that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, et cetera, uh, be informed in a timely manner, even before the cat burglar terrorists push the button on the designated device. If they had been informed of this fact in a timelier manner, period, end of sentence. Uh, that, that's just, you know, that's, uh, him looking at his watch and just like bang, 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 uh, move it, move it, move this book along. I've got a, I've got a, a appointment at 3 p.m. to do someone's taxes. 
Yeah, this is the we're now getting to the the bitter section of the our relationship <laughs> with Dwight David. Right. Uh, he says uh, we could have tracked the tap, cat burglar terrorist back to his hideout. This could have saved thousands of man hours that were actually spent to legally hunt down the cat burglar terrorist. And so at one, there's a hideout now. Um, and then two, he says, legally hunt down the cat burglar terrorist. And I just imagine that after everything he's told us about his countless bugs and wiretaps and hacking, Titus Uno is just spitting the word legally with utter contempt for due process. Uh, he's just like, oh, those wasted thousands of man hours. We could have just, Dina Hope could have been hacking this all along. It would have been fascinating to uh, him having delved into the political climate that would have allowed assuming it it is like whatever supersized Patriot Act had to be passed to get all of this stuff done. <laughs> like what's going on with the citizenry? Are they demanding blood? There's not, you know, that never gets mentioned or anything. They just start illegally or, or maybe it is legal. That's what I'm saying. We don't know. I guess he says it's legal, but so they, they must've, you know, just burned the, uh, their bill of rights or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 Oh it's the greatest, like, you know, constitutional challenge that's ever existed. I'm sure Quebec has already seceded based on this. Like, right. uh, it's torn the country asunder. You know, there's you know, people in V for Vendetta masks all over the state house. Like, <laughs> um, and then this this was the this is the last thing in this chapter I had. But it's the sort of thing where, like, uh, okay, I'll just read the sentence. Drew Sampson used his private investigator's experience to discover important information about the nature, timing, and extent of the explosion of 64 squares. So in a in a real book, uh, that sentence would probably be ninety percent of the book. <laughs> he, yeah, he just, yeah. The extent he, of the explosion is is pretty well known at this point, <laughs> right? It was blown to rubbish in a five story pile that was smoldering and had to be uh, had the fires put out because there might be gas leaks nearby. Oh, that's covered. right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so and then we then we get the copy paste about uh, Dina Hope and Veronica Jackson. And then we, if you don't have anything else, we move on to chapter 19, the relevance of the explosion. I am ready to do 19. Yeah. Yeah. So chapter 19 was where I marked, we have 20 pages to go in this book. Um, and it's just worth keeping that in mind as we, as we delve into what he is still not talking about. Um, he says that the, uh, the, the prosecutor uh, who is protecting the, the terrorist, he does not want the cat burglar terrorist to get off on a technicality, which is probably true of any of any prosecutor i would assume um those technicalities have to be a uh, <laughs> a constant fear yeah and uh for a 64 floor building being blown up you have to meet, you know that fear would probably be even heightened because <laughs> that, that would be a big political blunder if you had any uh, aspirations to move up the chain you sure get yeah. away on a technicality <laughs> I wonder if that ever happens in real life. I mean, because that surely is a uh, is a is a staple of of TV courtroom dramas. But are people really getting off on technicalities? Is that ever actually happening? Well, a lot in Clint Eastwood movies where he has to hunt them down. But uh, but otherwise, I don't know. But he uh, go ahead. He says that it, it is important that everyone involved in this case maintain an accurate accountant of what they are doing. And a proper chain of command. I thought that was a, a, a Freudian slip there, uh, just putting in accountants in, uh, in in places they don't belong. But the uh, uh, yeah, it occurred he, to me that he has provided the 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 defense dozens upon dozens of technicalities with all his illegal wild wire taps that he's done across this entire book. 
<laughs> like he could well, be the, the reason the guy goes free. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a, a technicality. It's a massive invasion of everyone's <laughs> rights. Uh, he says this might be another case of him, um, you know, sitting halfway on his uh, his stool with his one leg is sort of swung out. And he's listening to his buddies in the other room. The relevance of the crime, in this case, the relevance is very material. That's one sentence. It is relevant about who and what will be changed because of this theft. (laughs) It ends in a question mark. Yeah. Yeah. So the first sentence is a a hash of words. The second one is an (laughs) accidental question mark. That's just him telling us the facts. Jack Starr style. He also says... Once he's determined the relevance there, he says, in a relevant case like this, an innocent verdict would cause many people in high places to lose their impressive and high salaried positions and possibly cost them their reputations. In some cases, they might not be able to work in Vancouver, Canada ever again. But if so, it would not be performing the same position that they are currently performing now. So that really sets the stakes of this trial. That is a weird one. They may not be able to work in Vancouver, Canada. <laughs> like the, uh, the, the, they, they cost themselves this conviction and then the, uh, the sheriff drives, not the sheriff of 64 squares, the sheriff drives them across the, uh, the province line, you know, tosses them out of the back of his truck. Yeah, I pictured that might just be like the, uh, the Swindon lot from the office. Like, like <laughs> that's not really a big punishment that they have to go to this other office. Right. Uh, here's he, a, uh, yeah. Here's a nice sentence. Was it when he's trying to figure out the motive? Was it done because someone was upset? Some people get very upset when information is being kept from them. And I, I just thought, uh, <laughs> remember that time that you and Sean went to lunch, but you forgot to tell me which sushi place you were going to. And and then I went and blew up a 64 floor skyscraper. <laughs> Right. I was so upset that information was being held for me. Yeah, I mean, all the time it would be like you know December fifteenth, and I'd be like, you know, what what what's Santa going to bring for Christmas? And my mom would be like, you just have to wait and find out. And I would blow up my school. <laughs> <laughs> um, the my my favorite new quirk that uh, that po- popped up a lot. It was obviously a, a copy paste job, but he says. Uh, uh, the security of the new building will have to be more surveillance cameras that are monitored by better trained security guards that can alert a contact at the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, etc. Once this contact is contact, then etc. etc. He repeats once this contact is contact at least six or seven times throughout the course of the thing. One time he actually got it right, said once this contact is contacted, excuse me. But uh, for the most part, it was once this contact is contact. So when he was copying and pasting, he didn't choose the right one <laughs> he chose a misspelled one um yeah i guess so i think that that's just part of his uh part of his uh, desire to get to happy hour at uh, joe's crab shack or whatever before they stop doing uh half price crab legs here's a fascinating fact that i did not know um, I think this will come to, as a surprise to a lot of people. Whenever a building is blown up, it is considered a terrorist attack on the whole world, not just the country or town that the skyscraper building or any type of structure is blown up and destroyed. So if you can get the meaning from that hash, he's, he's, he's saying uh, if you're, you and your loved ones die in a massive terrorist attack, uh, yeah, don't, don't be too uh, uh, greedy with it. It's the whole world that's attacked. <laughs> And I, that got a, uh, an, it, an, it is with like eight question marks after it for me. I just wasn't, yeah, same here. I, you know, I wasn't aware that we, as you know, citizens of the world had signed on to that, that sort of thing. Um, 
I guess, you know, people would do that. They'd be like, you know, we are all New Yorkers after 9-11, but... Uh, yeah, but but you know, I, I if if this is the case, I am really slacking off because you know, I mean, I'm sure every week there's something going on, and I I'm I'm not stopping and and feeling that kind of grief that I should. So I, I'm going to step right. it up from here on. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, light a candle for me. I don't know if I have that much <laughs> empathy to spare. Right. Um, the other uh, sentence of this was that there's again a hash but it's it's it, you could diagram it um if you wanted to but it is possible that someone who wanted this top secret information got angry and decided to hire decided to hire a professional cat burglar who decided to blow up 64 square skyscraper building and cover the cat burglar terrorists tracks so that uh-huh. implies the existence of a second cat burglar uh yeah a cat burglar who blew up the building to cover the cat burglar's tracks um, but hired Ooh. by another person. So that's, you know, it doesn't pan out, of course, but it just, uh, if you're, if you were taking him at his word, this is just like, you know, your yarn wall just got that much more complicated if you're trying to track all this. God, we're well past kidnapping accountants at this point. <laughs> I mean, that was our leading thing for a long time in this book. Yeah. Uh, here's an amusing typo. Because, uh, as we said, we're not trying to make fun of typos, but when they when they get into this range, this fact has to be determined because this sends the team into a different than if it is a large terrorist group. So, <laughs> to do a different what? Yeah, when there's not even a word there, that's <laughs> right. what I mean. It's not it's not a typo anymore. That's, it's, that's on you, Dwight David. They wake up and they're just in this sort of like, uh, like you know, behind the bookcase in uh, Interstellar. It, they're in like the fourth dimension, fifth dimension. They're like, we're in a whole new different people. <laughs> we were warned this might happen, but uh, the new different. Hopefully that's it. book two. <laughs> <laughs> to the, the certified public accountant and a whole new different. Um, yeah. So I think after that, we move on to, God, chapter 20, the weakness that caused the explosion of 64 squares. And it starts yes. with a big, yeah. Uh, well, I have a, I have a dumb sentence. What were you going to say? It, it might, don't worry. I have plenty of dumb sentences. Okay. Well, I just, this one, this was one that uh, it, he, he just does a 180. It's two sentences. He does a 180 midway through them. Uh, not that anyone would ever want to sky drive on. He's talking about the, the weaknesses of the building and what they're going to do to improve it in the future, um, which includes more like sensors on top of the building in case someone does this. He says, not that anyone would ever want to skydive onto a skyscraper. In this case, the cat burglar terrorist did want to land on the roof. <laughs> so that got a <laughs> from me. <laughs> I just have a Titus get a grip, man. You're losing it. <laughs> There's a part in Plan 9 where uh, the guy, it's that endless scene of them talking in the office. He's like, do you believe in extraterrestrials? And then he he's like, and he's like, we do have confirmation in the existence of extraterrestrials or something, something along the lines of that. Right. <laughs> it's, it's another thing where the, uh, the, the scene is so boring and, and uh, repetitive that you, you miss those gems in between. It's very similar to this book, actually. <laughs> right. Uh, here's a, a bit of the inspection here that reminded me of a, a, a very funny thing that happened to uh, Bridget and I. The pilot should have inspected the cat burglar terrorist's equipment and suit. <laughs> the pilot was not the cat burglar terrorist because the airplane did not crash when the cat burglar terrorist jumped out of the plane to commit this terrible criminal act. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that kind of uh, sharp-eyed sleuthing <laughs> that reminded me of... Uh, 
when our our bikes got stolen once we left the garage open for just a minute you know dash okay. inside we came back out both bikes gone and a crappy bike with no wheels sitting in its place right so we call the cops and uh it was like the cop goes what do you think happened i said well obviously he rode up on this saw our garage door open stole the the bikes and uh uh, well, he didn't. He didn't get away on that bike, and he pointed to the bike sitting there with no tires. And oh I, my like, god! Stared at him for a minute. I'm like, and he didn't ride this one in, obviously. And I, I just waited for him to crack up and go. I'm right. kidding you. Well, and he never did. I'm like, I said, well, he he popped his own wheels off and and then just flung them over his shoulder and rode away. He's like, okay. <laughs> like, wow. no, not okay. A real <laughs> Columbo like, there. Yeah. So that. Uh, that stuck with me like, wow, that guy, he never did. He didn't go, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he stuck with his idiocy. Wow. Yeah. Well, anyway, that maybe this is the guy investigating that. He yes. moved up to Vancouver. <laughs> um, the, uh, the is a hint of plot development. Um, he sees my team and I, along with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, et cetera, are focusing on the information, and it is leading us to the conclusion that this could have been caused by a disgruntled employee or a disgruntled former employee. The facts are telling them that this was probably carried out by a disgruntled former employee, which is like sound the klaxon, like the air horns, like it's a it's a kernel of plot development. Um, we don't get any mention of the facts or anything that led them to that conclusion, but um, the plot has been advanced. Yeah, yeah, but we've had this. We've had false alarms before. True. So who knows? He could just 180 on this, but but it is legitimately a, a plot point. Here's a thing that I wondered about the plot. Why? Well, I'll just read it. Did the cat burglar terrorist want to sabotage or bring 64 squares down because of 64 squares competition? This was an option that had to be disproved. <laughs> what 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 if it was true why would you have to disprove it wouldn't you throw it uh, in the facts column rather than no 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 we we must even if it's true this can't be true i, I don't it's, understand what he's saying there at all it's probably like the uh the the wide-eyed like rookie cop who uh who has a lead that's really promising and then the uh the uh attorney general comes in and is like this is the lead we're pursuing. Like this is your this is your suspect. Like you write it, and he's identifying one of his political opponents. And the rookie cop is like, "No, you don't understand. Like I, this is a distinct possibility. Like this is what needs to be proved. Like the, you know, we, we're not in the business of solving the case. We're in the business of getting a guilty verdict." You're poking around in forces you can't possibly understand. <laughs> I would have liked a, a character like this in that book. That would have been great. Anyone who was a, an actual villain would have been a refreshing breath of fresh air. Or his version of a, um, a disgruntled boss or a, you know, a, a grumbly boss would have been uh, as good as the one in Samurai Cop, I have no doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Except been- he would have been happily married and had seven children and, right. and played in the church choir or whatever. Right. He, he would not have had a, uh, you know, pole jab, you know, jabbed up his ass or whatever that guy said. It would, <laughs> it would, anyone in this book who would have swore, sweared would have been a really, uh, a really welcome addition as well. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, so that's, it ends with Veronica Jackson's new friendly personality. And uh, moves on to chapter 21, the facts about I, the explosion. I did have one uh, thought when he talked about the disgruntled form employee as the lead suspect. 
Uh, could he have been disgruntled by the museum owner turning a blind eye to families carrying in checkers to the chess museum? Oh, yeah. That somebody, been. you know, who managed the thing and is like, you're going over my head every day. You wrote the <laughs> rules and I'm enforcing them. And then you smile and go, this place is for families. Like, well, then why am I even working here? Yeah, so he's I, like, that's my lead suspect right now. On his way out the door, he stopped by a table where a, a father was playing checkers with his six-year-old and just like smacked the table over, like upending the checkers everywhere. And the kids started crying. And he pointed at the, the manager who was smiling and was like, this is on you. You can wear this one. <laughs> uh, before we move on, do you want to do the mail now? Sure. We're going to the party. We're going to the game. We're going to the dinner. Yeah, let's uh, steal some people's mail. We got some good emails as I read some of the subject lines earlier. Um, we'll read some excerpts from uh, your thoughts on uh, the conclusion of the certified public accountant and the cremated 64 squares statements, whatever. I, I could not remember the book's title if you gave me uh, 10 different tries. I don't think I would get it right if you asked me to do it word for word. Oh, you could you could waterboard me. I could not do it. <laughs> uh, David writes in, this seems like a book that was written by a person who had never read a book before and had heard only vague descriptions of the kind of things you might find in a book in the way that you might describe an elephant to some pre-K children who had never before seen an elephant and have them draw pictures and you would get pictures that had vaguely elephantine characteristics, but were definitely not actual elephants. And ah, I like that theory. That is true. It it does read like someone had told him there are words that you put words together and those words kind of form ideas in a person's mind when they read the words back. And he's like, got it. <laughs> I'm off to write a novel. Yeah. And the last, the the conclusion, uh, you know, proves that out to a T, the defies all known uh, plotting uh, and drama and uh, coherency um, that we have ever encountered in a book before. And so, you know, we, you and I were talking like, is this, is this, uh, unique to him or would this be, if you sat, you know, your average Joe down and demanded he write a book, would this be how 30% of the population's books would turn out? We have no idea because most people don't take the effort to do this. Or is he on some level, um, you know, a James Joyce where I look, I can't get through James Joyce. He's doing new things that I can't understand. He's making references I can't pull. Uh, is this guy doing that? And he's he's invented a new form of literature where things are sort of sideways. And, and in the future, people go, man, can you imagine when people used to tell stories in linear fashion? <laughs> <laughs> right. They satisfying conclusions. And uh, they led one thing led to another thing. Yeah. What idiots. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then we have uh, some of the people that are still um, – uh, Going on to read the future books in the series, Brian writes in and says, since they were free on Kindle Unlimited, I looked at the last book in the series to see if Dwight David Thrash, CPA, FCPA, CGMA had matured any as a writer. He had not. But you'll be fascinated to know that despite his firing, which we get to, Sheriff Jack Starr remains a recurring character, apparently hired to join the Forensic Certified Public Accountant team. Yes. Uh, quick, yes. Quick Swift, Chuck Mack, Davey Bond, Supervision, and Spiderweb are also recurring characters. And at the end of the last book, spoiler alert, Titus and his wife have a baby. So, yeah, a lot of people wrote in uh, to say that they, they read ahead and Sheriff Jack Starr joins the uh, Titus Uno's team. 
Uh, so he says, this is true. I, I was, I demanded proof of this because I just couldn't believe it was true. Um, this is an excerpt from the, one of the books. I thought you would like to know that Jack Starr found work with my forensic certified public accountant team. Now he says, who is the sheriff of Titus Uno, CPA, FCPA, CGMA's team? We always answer, you are Jack Starr. You are Jack Sheriff Starr. No. So he gets a, <laughs> he adapts his catchphrase to his new role on Titus Uno's CPA, FCPA, CGMA team, which is stunning. Uh, yeah. I, he makes it 10 times more clumsy <laughs> and oh my God. And he's, he's still telling them that. Uh, but yeah, I know I demanded, uh, I demanded a, a, a screenshot of that because that seemed too, too much. I couldn't, do, I couldn't, I couldn't abide by that. Yeah. If obviously I would have said fanfic and yeah, oh, yeah. On, like, try harder people. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that dumb. Yeah. Um, so this is someone else who, who, um, also read ahead a bit, but Sharon said, I keep circling back to what is the point of this book? Why did he write it? Did he know what he was unleashing on the world? Seriously? I think you guys need to consider discussing what the hell he was thinking when he wrote this. I won't lie. I have laughed my ass off at the podcast and the book itself. I truly think this may be the crown jewel of the podcast, but I'm still feeling some sort of deep existential crisis. I don't know how to live and function in a world that contains this book without some further explanation. And she goes on to describe the, uh, the I think the last book, the virtual reality one. Uh, each member will wear virtual reality glasses when conducting the audit. He then goes through how each of them will perform their specific task while wearing the glasses. He then goes on about how they will each use an avatar and what avatar they will use. Honestly, glancing through the first three chapters, once again, there appear to be huge swaths of text that are exactly duplicated. Is this all some sort of meditative technique? The sound of one hand clapping? If someone read it in a whisper, would this be ASMR to turn off your brain and relax you? So I think Sharon Sharon got in a little too deep. Sharon, <laughs> well, Sharon needs to... I think we've we're we're with Sharon too. I mean, maybe she read it in more concentrated doses, but I think that was our initial thing: is why, what, who? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we we delved into it in a previous one. Is like, is this something he's compelled to do? Uh, is is he uh, trying to win a woman by going? You know, I wrote seven books in the sure. last year. You know, no one can really know. I guess until we interview him, uh, which sure. I hope will be forthcoming. Maybe, yeah, uh, that would be something. I mean, I guess, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a, a little dicey seeing some is. of the video we, we saw of him. It's uh, That would be a little strange, I think. But. <laughs> it would be strange, but I mean, he seems like a good-natured person at heart, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. But maybe that's before you uh, start talking about his books in depth. Uh, this is a uh, one one other person wrote in to say that the in the second book, he starts doing this tick as well. He starts using the um, intro sentence as described in the forensic certified public accountant in the cremated 64 squares financial statement. Book number one, my team uses the most high tech. So he 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 uses that uh, over and over again to refer you back to the events of this book. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> so I guess they're just going to get more and more recursive as you go deeper into the series. It's just going to be uh, just building on uh, your insider knowledge and they'll be impenetrable to anyone who hasn't read every other entry in the series. Maybe he's he's sort of stealing that technique from uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did it in the uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories where Watson would have to explain like I, you know, I wrote this down in a little monograph that I called this, you know, like, <laughs> to give you some facts. But he did it a little more artfully than just listing it. <laughs> only slightly, only slightly more artfully. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, last email is from uh, Chris, who created a role playing game based on the book called D and D and CPA and FCPA and CGMA, the Forensic Accounting Role Playing Game. 
so he, uh, he he listed up the rules for this. We, we've already posted this on the on the media social media accounts. But uh, yeah, just all sorts of roles for sitting down and 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 immersing yourself in this world. The first thing you got to do is decide to uh, decide who's the sheriff. Um, so once you have the sheriff, he's sort of the dungeon master of this. Um, you need uh, some player motivation, so you can roll a six-sided die and consult a table if you need some inspiration. Uh, if you roll a one, uh, terrorist bombing. Two, faked worked injury. Three, mascot kidnapping. Four, lunchroom theft. Five, chess cheating. Or six, autograph forgery. Uh, and it, it's very <laughs> well done. Nice. Uh, but, but possibly the most important step when you're creating your character is deciding whether your character is a CPA or is merely studying to become a CPA. <laughs> <laughs> Does so, that give you certain powers or, uh, oh, you know, or just different powers? Sure. I think, you know, you can, you, you might have more, uh, spare time if you're already a CPA, but you might have more motivation if you're, it's, I don't know. It's, <laughs> we can, what if, if you anyone have to play it. What if you have a college singing degree? Does that bring you anything, or is that <laughs> sure. a detriment? It might that, that might determine how quickly uh, you 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 marry someone. That might be part of your charisma factor. <laughs> right. uh, he also alerted us. Like again, I don't want to talk about too much about the guy personally, but he has a a uh, public LinkedIn page where he has posted a few um, uh, CPA jokes. This is true. Um, uh, he has posted. And so I, I read some of them and I just, I, I don't understand them. I'm not, a, I'm not a CPA. So they might be sort of um, insider humor, but one of his jokes was what did the CPA say to the musician? I don't know. You can count for me. Uh, and so <laughs> I thought it might just be a CPA thing, but on, I read some more, they, 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 they all made just as much sense. The, but this one, there was a comment from another LinkedIn user whose name is Bill Sefton, CPA. And he just commented, please help me. I don't get it yet, Bill. <laughs> so it's not, I think it's just, I think it's beyond, you know, it's on a, a level that not every CPA, maybe Bill Sefton is just, um, he's not a, uh, FCPA or CGMA. So that might be the difference in the, uh, in the right. level of that. So I like his um, optimism though, that he said, I don't get it yet. <laughs> yes. I, I will get this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's our, that's our emails for this week. Thank you so much for writing in and uh, kudos to everyone who did, uh, who, who did that, all that extra work. It was really uh, exciting to, to, to read that and stuff like the uh, role-playing game, the memes, the, uh, the, Character chart. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. Really fun to dive into. You you wouldn't think so, but then you start doing <laughs> it. It's a little bit addictive. Yeah, it really is. Uh, well, yeah, let's uh, let's move it along. Um, yeah, now we get to the meat of it. We're here. Yeah. Chapter 21, the facts, the facts. about the explosion. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ten boy. pages to go. Ten pages. So here's how it happened. And this is my biggest uh, WTF of the whole thing. <laughs> After landing on the roof, the cat burglar terrorists took the four explosives, explosive ropes that had explosive devices that would be at all 64 floors on all four sides of the 64 squares skyscraper building. What in the name of hell is going on? <laughs> explosive ropes? Like- How long is this rope? How heavy was it? How did she or he parachute with... What? I did a back of the envelope. Eight okay. tons of explosive rope? Okay, yes. 64 floors of some sort of rope that would explode? I mean, I'm thinking like a sort of thick C4 type stuff. Yeah, mounted at, I believe it said at every um, at every floor, there was a different uh, part of explosive, I think. So it's like all a, 64 um, floors on all four sides. 
Yes. So what was your back? It was several tons? Eight tons. <laughs> and so he's coming out of an, uh, uh, a low-flying airplane. Um, I would imagine that he's. This is a you know a skydiving thing. You're not you're not skydiving from you know cruising altitude of a uh, commercial seven forty seven like thirty thousand feet. Skydiving, you're doing it from much lower. Um, and being weighed down by that eight tons has got to severely impact your your parachutes. Um, the type of parachute you'd need. Um, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I assume it's one hundred percent impossible. Some maybe sure. some aeronautics expert could uh, explain to us how this could possibly be done but uh stringing the rope and and how so did it just got kind of go over the sides down 64 floors yeah i imagine it's like uh you know in movies where you you unveil like a big like you know you're if you're putting something outside of a a, a business you disagree with and you unfurl the big banner that says like don't shop here i, I imagine that's how we imagined it going just sort of letting that eight ton rope. I mean, that would have probably caused some damage on its own. Just, just letting it slide down and slam into the side of the building. Oh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you know this about rope, but you know, I, if you are a climber rope is shockingly expensive, like heavy duty rope. Like if you want a 60 meter rope, it runs you like 150 bucks just for that. Yeah. Um, well, as it turns out, so the, I don't know. Should we go ahead with the plot? Because as we're discussing this, we might as well. So he did mention uh, he had a plane and, and a pilot who was obviously in cahoots with him, right? Because it does um, turn it does turn out to be a him. I'm just going to okay. Yeah, I'm going. I to don't do know that. I thought that the, the, there is no mention of the pilot being um, one of the people who gets sentenced to jail time at the end of the book, right? And which is a I, glaring. That is a, a miscarriage of justice. This is a co-conspirator. I thought they said the pilot was absolved because he did not inspect his suit. Like that was his uh, that was his get out of jail free card. He was just like, no, I just took, I just take a guy up and let him jump wherever they want to. Well, would you believe him if you were a lay witness and you asked him? <laughs> so you're flying a guy with eight tons of explosives. <laughs> he said, "Hang on, let me get the other four tons." And you went, "Look, I I should probably inspect it, but I'm not it's going. like those." It's like those guys who gave the uh, 9-11 hijackers flight lessons, but they were not uh, disturbed at all when they were like, nah, I don't need any information about how to land a plane. I just, <laughs> right. um, but, yeah, I, I, he, but he's, you know, we, we, we get detailed uh, descriptions of prison time at the end of the book and uh, the pilot's not included. I think that the, uh, the, um, the expertise here is, is very interesting, and we get no real um, information about this character's background, what their job was. But the uh, stringing the the eight tons of explosive rope that uh, 64, um, 64 stories high is is something that your, your average Joe, I don't think, if you just pulled a man off the street and asked him to do that, even if you said, "Here's a million dollars," I think they would probably have some issues doing that. So either this guy is a you know Navy SEAL in his spare time who is just working at this corporate place, um, or he just really put in his time. Uh, it, it just seems like an unlikely skill. You'd be just, uh, it's not a bar trick. Uh, let's just go ahead. This is an impossible skill. There's no <laughs> human being who can do this. It's not possible in any universe. Yeah. Uh, but here's another uh, you don't say in here as we talk about the facts about the explosion. There had to be someone that is very displeased with 64 squares. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm displeased with my job. You know, I I went to school for four years, and here I am just killing time in a cubicle. 
I'm going to string eight tons of explosives <laughs> outside of this building. <laughs> right. Yeah. I went in at the, uh, the end of the year and, uh, you know, I, I asked him for, uh, you know, a, a 2.5% bump and they countered with 2.2. It just, just sort of disappointing, um, that they didn't recognize my, my value. So, um, eight tons of explosive ropes on its way from Amazon prime. And, uh, <laughs> now I'm going to be renting a plane on Tuesday. Oh, office space <laughs> would have been a different movie if Milton had had eight tons of explosive ropes. Yeah. And so that's the other thing you have to imagine this guy being essentially like a, uh, you know, Jack Ryan, like he's a, it's a strapping square jawed guy, but it's much more likely that it is like a Milton guy. It's just a office drone. <laughs> right. Um, but he, I like this line when the cat burglar terrorists got there, all the safes were opened up by a program that the cat burglar terrorist had written to open up all the safes. So that logic checks out. Um, this was necessary to perform the task so that all the secrets would be blown up. This would put the blame on someone else than the cat burglar terrorist. <laughs> which appears not to have worked in the slightest since from page one, we've had our sights on the cat burglar terrorist as the one and only suspect in this, uh, in this caper. How is he imagining that working? What does <laughs> doing more destruction when you're blowing up the thing, how does that distract attention from you? I don't know. I really I, covered I, my tracks when I, you know, blew up the twin towers. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't get what that means. Right. Yeah. If someone had been, had had been inside the uh, the World Trade Center and had noticed that there were like discrepancies in the uh, in the gift shop audit, they'd be like, "Whoa, this changes everything." There must have been someone else here perpetrating a different crime that we now we've got to look into. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. Um, the uh, he says that my. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it as far as I had, actually. Um, yeah, he cuts and pastes again, which is yeah. getting extremely irritating at this <laughs> yes. point. We are and they were two chapters from the two end. chapters away. But boy, we've made it to the final two chapters and they are just chock full of things to sink your teeth into. They like people have said, yeah, stunning, incredible favorite reading experiences of all time. Um, uh, just worth, worth devoting a lot of time to. So I think we've got to just do, do deep dives here because this is it. Um, this is where we get to the entire mystery. We get to his, uh, his, his testimony that we've been preparing for the entire time. Every single person that they've wiretapped and hacked and, uh, you know, committed, uh, federal, uh, felonies to, to do all that to is now going to pay off. In chapter 22, the court case of the Cat burglar terrorist, still in quotes. That's so precious at this point. <laughs> and it's ruling. So we, the, he starts off. We still are not getting uh, the identity off the, off the, off the bat. But we have a interesting thing that the, the not what I expected the court to be ruling on. The court case has two separate parts that the court will have to rule on at the end of this court case, which comes as a surprise. First. If it is in the best interest for 64 squares to rebuild and to continue operation. So a court is going to be ruling whether or not this, this devastated corporation can rebuild its headquarters, um, which yep, came as a surprise to me. He bangs his gavel and says, uh, I'm afraid that 64 squares cannot continue operation. And, you know, Al Pacino stands up. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole court's out of order. Jack stars outside yelling Attica, Attica. <laughs> um, but the uh, so yeah, that was a surprise. But then uh, he says, secondly, this is this is how the chapter starts. Secondly, the criminal terroristic acts of the cat burglar terrorist, who we now know is Clef Trouble. 
Yep. Uh, let's, let, let's just let that sit there for a second. <laughs> so, yeah, imagine that that's, that's your usual suspects like uh, mug dropping moment. Mm-hmm. It just outright says the, the cat burglar terrorist is cleft treble. And so if you're like me, you probably are like, oh, is that the auditor? Was that the was that the teacher that everyone, all the students had a crush on? Uh, but no, do not bother looking at the organizational chart or anything like that. This is a character who has never been mentioned before. Nope. And and I'll, I will confess at this point, I was reading it, you know, slightly a little bit irritated at the, I mean, I did read this fact and I thought this is new information. The courtroom decides the guilt or innocence of the criminal based on the information discovered by all of the people discussed earlier. So that's like, <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know how that's how courtrooms work. And sure. Sure. So thank you for that new information. But then, you know, a little more of a uh, repetitive word. So I confess I skipped that until, wow. I, until I got to it the second time, which comes uh, you know, a couple paragraphs later and then went, you know, did the, uh, ooh, God, you know, <laughs> you know, spraying coffee around my office, taking <laughs> other sips of it and spraying it again, <laughs> taking my glasses off, polishing them and putting them back on and widening my eyes. And, <laughs> right, and then yeah, I you, searched you, back and realized that he had mentioned it before, but, but it was materially, it made no difference that I didn't see it the first time. It made no difference because he does an amazing, amazing technique, which is to reveal the identity of the cat burglar terrorist who we've been hearing about for 98 pages, uh, make it someone we've never heard of, make it someone with an utterly ridiculous name, and then immediately be like, but enough about that. Uh, the role of the FCPA as a lay witness, <laughs> which he lays out for the next three pages, um, He, you know, which has been building to, but uh, it is – from here on out, the rest of the book defies – any uh, logic or coherence or known aspects of storytelling. Uh, and it's just, you got to strap in and enjoy the ride. I, I don't want to take up the time to do it, but did you, I'm sure you circled hit the beginning of his testimony. This is what he said in the courtroom and I, I'll just start it and then you can imagine the rest of it. Yeah. So he sits down, he does the, the, the Bible thing and, and says out loud to everyone in the court, I, Titus Uno, certified public accountant, forensic, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Before I, Titus Uno, blah, 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 took a seat at the witness stand. I, uh, Yeah, so it just goes on and on with him referring to himself that way. And then out when loud they, in court. That, out loud. And then the sharp hatchet asked me, Mr. Titus Uno, <laughs> CPA, FCPA, <laughs> will you please tell the court? So that... Sharp Hatchet talks exactly like Titus Uno. Yeah, I was just, all of his titles. He said, and the full sentence of that was, "Will you please tell the court how the financial statements of sixty four squares has changed? Statements of sixty four squares are now after the sixty four squares skyscraper building was blown up by the accused." So I imagined I, Titus Uno puts his hand on the Bible and says, under oath, "I Titus Uno, certified public accountant." The judge immediately starts banging his gavel. Being like, yeah. this is you know, this is turning into a circus. And after Sharp Hatchet made that incoherent statement, uh, he had to judge should have just mistrial immediately. Like this is this is a kangaroo court. Like I will not see justice demeaned in a case that's important. But he evidently let him let him continue in his capacity as lay witness. Yeah, I, obviously be like you're mocking this courtroom. And if, <laughs> if not, you know, we need to check the mental health of this individual. 
how dare you, sharp hat, to bring this lay witness before me. Get out of my courtroom. Yep. Yes. Uh, and many, many people, um, I think they were either lawyers themselves or just like assumed that the facts here were, were incorrect. But they they wrote in to, uh, to inform us that a, a lay witness, uh, not only is it not what he's describing, it is the exact opposite of what he's describing. So yeah, just they, someone cited justice.gov. A lay witness, the most common type, is a person who watched certain events and describes what he or she saw. An expert witness is a specialist, someone who is educated in a certain area. He testifies with respect to his specialty only. So he has 100% got this completely wrong. We've had lay witness mentioned at least four dozen times. And every single time it has been the exact opposite of what he intended it to mean. It's like when you, you know, use literally to mean something that literally did not happen. Yeah. Imagine doing that in a, in a, a book I've, I've had, and I'm sure you've had your books uh, when they're copy edited, and you'll find something circled and, you know, you'll go, oh, it's so embarrassing. I got that wrong. Uh, but then imagine repeating that for the entire <laughs> length of the book hundreds and hundreds of times, making it a spot, just shining a spotlight on it and confidently stating it over and over and over again. Right. And for a for a for a term that like, sure, I, I realized I'd heard that term before, but one that your average Joe has no idea what it means. So they're going to take your take your word for it. But if you had just said as testify as a witness or as an expert witness, you would, uh, people would have not blinked an eye if you had used it correctly. Yep. Um, now I don't, my, my eyes kind of rolled back in my head at his testimony. Oh my Uh, God. But yeah, it's all about specific dollars amounts to the penny about the value and the cash flow. of (laughs) So yeah. Uh, it's what it's uh, yeah, all been going to, and it, it built to 195 words that are just incoherent. And we had and I, a one tiny paragraph about explosive rope blowing up the building. <laughs> I mean, we have uh, Mission Impossible uh, on one hand, and then we have financial statements. And he's like, I'm going with financial statements, going, <laughs> going in strong and hard. It seems like what he says is essentially that the the financial worth of 64 squares used to be $3 billion and now is zero because the building doesn't exist. That seems to be like that basic of a of a point that a, a five-year-old would tell you. Uh, that's that's why he's a lay witness and not an <laughs> expert witness. Yeah. It concludes with finally the statement of cash flows will be unchanged because for now the 64 square skyscraper building being blown up is a non-cash event. Um, so that's, that's how it ends. He sort of like dusts his hands. He leans back in the, uh, in the chair and it's like, you know, I nailed it. <laughs> I'm done. Titus, okay. he, he hits play on, damn, it feels good to be a gangster and walks out of the courtroom. <laughs> uh, but then this from Sharp Hatchet <laughs> right after this, he says, Sharp said, no farther questions, your honor. And I just thought, man, he bungled it right on the goal line. <laughs> He's yes. got the he's got the jury right in his hands. He's doing the thing of you know leaning over and taking one side of his glasses off, and yes. he, he's looking in their eyes. He's looking at the empathetic eyes of the lead juror, and there's no farther question. Oh God! Son and of it's a- no, no comma farther questions, <laughs> yes. Your Honor. <laughs> Which people pointed out was very similar to Lionel Hutt's uh, works on contingency. No, comma, money down. <laughs> but then, yeah, the defendant's attorney also says no. Farther questions, Your Honor. Wow. 
So I guess he pays for that, even that. But um, so then his buddy, uh, Quick Swift, who I guess was portrayed as potentially being his uh, his adversary, uh, announces the first part of the verdict that 64 Squares is insured and is approved to be rebuilt. And everyone is excited for this to happen so they can get their space back and get back to business. And so I I was like, this will be, what, five years at a minimum before they're able to rebuild this building and have it reworkable, like clearing the, you know, soil and re, you know, de-asbestosing it and everything. Like it has to be a, just a, you know. Well, not not only that, I mean, this has to be a building that can't be exploded by by huge giant explosive ropes. So that, I mean, that's not an easy engineering feat, right? <laughs> uh, security cameras that can detect that. Yeah, the things you things we probably should be putting in every building. I don't know if my uh, building I live in is is explosive rope proof. Yeah, and how do they make easy now? the chess museum itself? I think is probably is it even possible to build a chessboard that you couldn't explode? That's an interesting question. Many unique uh, articles were were kept there that will not be replaceable. Um, Titus says at one point, he says, this, what, this is what makes being a lay witness so great. Once a, <laughs> once a statement is made, it is fact in the case. That sounded awesome to me. That is why I, Titus Uno, became a forensic certified public accountant. And I just thought, man, I mean, it sounds almost as cool as visiting your spouse at work to be a lay <laughs> witness, but it does sound awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cliny in there. It's a, uh, you know, just kicking back and watching family ties on my laptop and eating corn chips is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, but once a statement is made, it is fact in the case. That yeah, sounded awesome to me. That is why there's no uh, punctuation there. Okay. Well, the, and that, whether that is true, I, you know, we have to assume that it's not because he's just material misstated the role of a lay witness throughout the entire book. But I, um, I, I, I can't imagine it would it would work that way. I mean, I think everything is supposed to be t- treated as fact if it's made under oath on a witness stand. Uh, yeah, I don't know how as a, a lay witness it's it's more facty, or I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, this is one thing that's the fact is that uh, Clef Treble, a sixty four squares employee that was fired by Peter Graham, the COO, was guilty of terrorism of a building. Which is, is that an official charge? That's, yeah. That's <laughs> terrorism of a building. The building's widow is there. Her, her kids are wearing their like nicest suit and, you know, they're, they're dabbing tears away. The building's like brother-in-law is the guy who has to be escorted out of the courtroom for like, you know, looking at uh, Clef Treble and being like, I'm going to get you, Treble. Um, the, the victim statements are particularly, uh, I'm only a six-story building. But when I saw my <laughs> uncle go down like that. <laughs> uh, and then it says the court system is not lenient on terrorists. Um, so that's also good to know. It is. Uh, but, you know, it made me question how lenient it had been on all the known terrorists they were interviewing and then letting go free once they were satisfied by their statements. So I think, you know, check yourself on that lenient statement because that's been uh, dis- disproven throughout the course of this guy. Uh, the um, leniency and- on the terrorists and all of that makes the next section of this book the most baffling in all of history because yeah now we get a list of the sentences of (laughs) previously mentioned people yeah and so if you're not reading along this book he this this lapses into a weird like christopher nolan-y like memento time so you are presented with information without having any of the facts about why it is happening and if you're reading it for the first time without knowing that you're going to be getting those facts later so it is 
truly baffling what we're about to discuss uh, the first time you read it. Yeah, I was I was skipping back saying there has <laughs> to be, you know how he did, he did that with the cleft treble thing to me where he just states the, oh, we know the guy's cleft treble. And I just kind of glanced over it and because obviously it wasn't surrounded by anything else that would give you clues. And yes. uh, so I thought, well, maybe I did that again. I did not. This is uh, <laughs> this comes out of a clear blue sky. Peter Graham, the COO who got rid of Clef Treble by firing Clef Treble, is not an innocent party in the case. He was sentenced to 20 years without parole. <laughs> yeah. Jack Starr's golfing buddy. Yep. 20 years in prison. So, all right, there's, there's, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this in real time as if we're reading for the first time. Uh, we'll, we, you learn sort of an explanation for this. Very much sort of. But then Henry Roy, who was the new head of the HR department and was unaware of all the facts of the employees of 60 War Squares, trusted Peter Graham. And so Henry Roy worked with Peter Graham to get rid of Clef Treble and was sentenced to 10 years without parole. <laughs> I bet there are people in HR departments reading this going, good Lord, am, I, am, am, I, <laughs> am, yeah. am I out there? Am I, has this happened to me? <laughs> he should not have supported Peter Graham in his scheme. We have no idea what the scheme is, but he did so. So that is why he was sentenced. So we know there's some sort of scheme uh, that is now sentenced to high up people in 64 squares to three decades in prison without parole. Parole, And that's not all. Drew Gunn, a security guard, presumably one of the security guards that Jack Starr was always telling who is the sheriff of 64 squares, uh, was also sentenced to two years in prison. Uh, what makes this sad is that Drew Gunn and Clef Trouble were friends at 64 Squares, but he was afraid that if he did not help Peter Graham in his scheme, he might lose his job. It was either Clef Trouble or him. So two years. He has the possibility of parole, though. So I imagine, you know, six months good behavior. There's a chance he's back out on the street. Uh, yeah, but the 10 years without parole. Yeah, that is sad um, <laughs> for a guy who was in human resources and just fired a guy that because um, yes. that's all we have right now. His, his scheme, as you're reading it, you have no idea. The scheme is that he fired him. So, yes. Okay, so it, it's just very puzzling. And so someone who helped fire a guy gets two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the security guard, You presu presumably he just uh, escorted him off the premises. You know, he probably didn't even have to lay a hand on him. Um, and then there's uh, there's a police officer who was fooled by Peter Graham, which uh, they, they act as if this is something that has been discussed in the book, which, again, it has not been. Um, and then he actually drops a, as discussed earlier, this is where three witnesses testified to a lie and caused cleft treble to be issued a criminal trespass notice without even being questioned. This has not been discussed earlier. No, uh, there were not three witnesses who testified to a lie. There was only no. one witness who testified to a bunch of bullshit about the <laughs> cash flows. <laughs> Again, yeah, there's, there's the, the lead has been severely buried uh, under uh, five stories of rubbish uh, in this department. <laughs> but he, uh, they said that the policeman uh, who does not serve any um, prison time, he just sort of gets a, a warning. He, the policeman just delivered the criminal trespass notice and told Cleft Treble, uh, he misspells his name, that he could never step, ever, ever step foot on 64 Squares property without being arrested. He was told by the judge that he should be more careful and gather statements from both sides, not just one side. If the police had questioned Cleft Treble, this terrorist act might not have happened. And this, again, was so disorienting, not knowing that you were going to get the slight bit of explanation that we do get in the final chapter. It just like it was 
you know, it was like reading, you know, Thomas Pynchon, where you're like, I guess this guy's just smarter than me and is sort of in his own head here. And I'm supposed to just take him at his word and and just read these sentences as if they have a meaning that I don't get yet. Yeah, uh, it, it is disorienting. Even though you know you're reading Dwight David, you're still like, I, I it can't be what it is. <laughs> it causes <laughs> tremendous self-doubt, which is very weird. Um, but just one more question about this. The, the judge told the policeman he should be more careful and gather statements from both sides, not just one side. Wh- mm-hmm. Who are the are, are there are people's team often teams on this? The issue? I don't understand what what both sides means in terms of trying to discover who blew up a skyscraper. I guess it's like, you know, if you if you, you know, you called the, the police to report those bikes stolen and they uh you know, if the if the bike thief had still been there, um, they they should have gotten his side of the story. And so, if he had, you know, this is <laughs> the police have been called to escort this guy off the building. Uh, he's been issued a trespass, criminal trespass notice. But um, if they had asked his side of the story and said, "Hey, is this is this criminal trespass notice warranted?" and if Clef Treble had said no, they would have been like, "Oh, well, glad we asked." Right. I mean, we're, clearly, it's unenforceable. We can't. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go about our day, sir. I'm so glad we asked you. Right. <laughs> Oh, well, that's all I have on that chapter. Um, we're, yeah. we're winding well, it down here, folks. Yeah, we, we get to the final chapter of uh, 64 Squares, which uh, in, in the book is three pages. Um, so this is, as we, as we discuss this, it's, this is, that's, that's worth keeping in mind. Three, uh, three pages of, of books here with a lot of ground to cover. It starts off on a, on a very bittersweet note. Well, the, the board of directors of 64 Squares unanimously decided it would be in the best interest of 64 Squares to terminate the contract of Jack Star. Mm, I know. Which, you know, I, I fell to my knees. Um, I poured one out for him. <laughs> um, I mean, and it, it sort of is, is is undercut by the knowledge that in the next book he does join Titus Uno's uh, thing and adapts his catchphrase. But for now, we're left with Jack Star is back sending out his powerful resume. <laughs> <laughs> No telling where Jack Star, now not CEO or not chief executive officer of 64 Squares, will end up working. Only time will tell. And I guess with hindsight, that's a little winky statement. Um, but I just love the idea of a powerful resume, like just, uh, you know, unfolding it from an envelope and being knocked out of your chair and knocked back like the guy in the uh, in the Magnifox uh, old logo. Just it's that powerful. Yeah, I was thinking of the uh, used to be told in on acting resumes. And I had no idea why, but, uh, and I put it on and, and one guy laughed at me. It was like, I, I can drive, uh, automatic and stick is you're just supposed to put it on in case you get it. And I felt that that was like a powerful thing. Cause I saw it on other actors resumes. So I put it on there to really knock them out. <laughs> I assume Jack, can, uh, Jack can drive stick. Jack's probably got a, uh, uh, you know, can drive a truck, whatever that class a license or whatever. Oh yeah. She's got a hog that he like drives, you know, just, you know, without a helmet. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I got, yeah, you get the feeling he's going to be okay. He probably had a, a pretty sizable golden parachute for this you know, company that deals in billions of dollars of, uh, of information every day. But we're still left uh, wondering at this point, why no 20 year <laughs> sentence for him? What, what right. are we going to untangle all of this? And, and the answer is uh, kind of <laughs> slightly. Yeah. yeah. But first we get to update it on uh, the investigators, officer Chuck Mack, Davy Bond, supervision and spider web of Homeland security have all decided that they will try to get there together at least once a year to talk and play poker. <laughs> right. 
So still at this point in time, we have no idea what has happened or why this the golfing buddy of Jack Starr has been sentenced to 20 years in prison. But I'm glad we get to know that those guys like bonded that well, because that's sort of a uh, it's a good, good sort of post credit sequence. Yeah, it's the, uh, the the wind down at the end of those 70s cop shows where they're all together in the coffee and the sleeves are rolled up and they're uh, they're laughing over the fact that. Uh, well, we solved the case. Only here they didn't really solve the case or, or tell us what was going on. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Drew Sampson and Dina Hope have their uh, have their card game room bugged. Like they're listening into their uh, locker room talk in there, just uh, just just for fun. At this point in time, they they can't stop doing it. They're they're addicts to just breaking the law. Oh, I noted um, uh, one of the things before we move on. They they. Uh, 64 squares their path forward they have have to convince you know future clients that they can't be blown up or whatever so these Mm -hmm. clients and possible future customers will have to be convinced that 64 squares can protect their information in the new 64 squares skyscraper building it will have more security features to prevent the skyscraper building from being blown up and you know (laughs) your company sitting around uh deciding who to go with you know sure like where to keep your yeah, we're like your, your, yeah, your private space plans or or whatever, or your <laughs> your time machine, uh, your water engine. Uh, uh, it it would make me feel better that that my security was was checking out, but also that they were giving huge sentences to people who got fired from. The- <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like they're really serious about it over there because they're dishing sure. out 20 years with no parole to some guy who fired another dude. Sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, communist China. It's like, well, you know, this this person was you know sentenced to life in prison just for, uh, you know, possibly voicing opposition to the dear dear leader. And it's like, well, I guess that's, you know, they get the job done. Yeah. Sometimes, they do. uh, you know, a strong man on your side isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. But we get to the uh, we get to the meat of the meat of the story here. We get the uh, we get the info dump, um, and uh, we just I think we're going to have to read a lot of it because a lot of this plot is is just laid out here in the final page of the book. Yeah. So we discover that Clef Treble had proposed to Pam Valentine, uh, the world's greatest CPA, weeks earlier. Weeks earlier Clef than Treble. what we're left to wonder. But go ahead. <laughs> That's true. I suppose to the explosion, um, but. Uh, Clef Treble could not bear to not being able to step foot on 64 squares again and visit his friend Pam Valentine at her office in 64 squares. You know, it's like, you know, once you're at above a certain age, you start to meet like your your friends and they have a, someone they've been dating and but they still introduce them as their friend. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, if that's just something people of my generation do. But at some point in time, you're like, I guess it's weird for a person in their 30s to call someone like a boyfriend and a girlfriend. So then they're like my friend, and but they're not. Uh, so, But I guess he's one of those guys that refers to his person he proposed to as his friend. Yeah. And, and, and his, the love of his life. Like the, we do get a clue, though, to the, the depth of emotion here, because what he's being deprived of is that really cool experience of going <laughs> to visit now, and, this, and it was mentioned as a spouse before, but I'm sure that's yes. the future he's dreaming of is en- sure. endless coolness because he gets. <laughs> yeah, he had already bought like the shades and the, uh, the the Canadian tuxedo jean jackets that he could wear when he walked into the office just looking cool as hell. I think you figure he looks um, like uh, George Michael next to that jukebox. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so that's snatched away from him. And why? Because Peter Graham, the CAO, 
was also in love with Pam Valentine and knew that Cleft Trouble was in love with Pam, had the police issue a criminal trespass without a reason, as mentioned above in the court. So, so, <laughs> wow, <laughs> stunning. Uh, a twist worthy of, you know, the, the, the greatest soap opera twist of all time. So we're left to wonder, like, what the relationship was. So let's let's hash this out. Cleft Treble had proposed to Pam Valentine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but Peter Graham was also in love with her. And it goes on to say the police did not know that Peter Graham was making this whole thing up to get rid of Cleft Treble and have clear sailing to marry Pam Valentine. So. So he was he wanted to marry her. I have to know what their relationship was because proposing to marry someone is something that, you know, unless you're quick swift, uh, usually, you know, takes months, if not years to determine that you have that kind of relationship with someone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Assuming he, is it a secret love for Pam Valentine? Is that what we're left to assume? I guess, you know, I guess it could be like that guy in love actually, that's like, he's never spoken to her, but he shows up and is like, I love you and I want you to marry you. And I, that thing, you know, I guess what happened in, in like medieval times where you're like, I have seen, you know, the, pre- the, the king is, you know, taking his caravan through town and he sees a comely lass and is like, I want to marry you. And then that's like, sure, I guess that's how it works here. But in, in this world, modern day British, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, I don't think that you could just like decide you want to marry someone and then and impose your will and have clear sailing. Well, I just came up with a theory on the spot. See how you like this. We know that uh, Dwight David is at the church choir and stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Is this uh, the inspiration uh, David and Bathsheba? He's up on his roof. He sees her bathing one day. He's like, I want her. And so he, he gets her husband, sends her out, uh, sends her husband out to the front lines where he gets killed. Uh, wow. But maybe that's the inspiration uh, <laughs> for Hey, Maybe. Look, look. Maybe. <laughs> Look, who, who was it who was asking? She needed to know some motivation, or she was going to go mad. I'm just trying to fill in the blanks. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you a David and Bathsheba theory. Affirm, settle down here. Okay, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, it, a, by the way, is Bathsheba another Ogden for you? I, I all right, I all right. Very much want to keep going. I can't on. believe that just happened. <laughs> damn, damn it, damn it, damn it. Uh, oh no, it's not oh. a name that I've heard a lot. You know, I don't have. Uh, I don't have a lot of friends who are naming their daughters Bathsheba these days. Well, you walked into a trap and no farther questions, anyone. <laughs> uh, but so anyway, uh, so this is another. So then we, we get this detail. Clef Treble was so upset because he had proposed at Pam's office, uh, the most romantic place to possibly propose. Peter Graham knew about this because he had Pam's Valentine's office bugged and had her phone tapped along with everyone else's office and phone. <laughs> So while Dina Hope and Drew Sampson were bugging everyone's office, Peter Graham had already gone about this. So everyone's office was double bugged. I don't understand why they go to the trouble when all they have to do is walk down to the cafeteria every day. (laughs) All the information you need forthcoming in loud voices. (laughs) And then he, uh, he drops this little gem. Companies monitor what their employees do even when they leave their desk to use the restroom. And that's sort of a, a very leading uh, end of a sentence. You have to assume uh, we have got bugs everywhere else. 
You've got to assume there's some toilet cams happening at 64 squares. You've got to assume that is not a private place like you would uh, like you would hope it would be in a in a workplace environment. Uh, maybe he just didn't mention that James Brown was a security employee there. <laughs> Chuck Berry. Oh, isn't Chuck it? Berry. <laughs> James Brown had a well a similar proclivity, shall we say? <laughs> the uh, the. Uh, but then he says, since Peter Graham was CEO, he knew everything that Pam Valentine did. So, right, prove me wrong. Everything, the Venn diagram, <laughs> right. it's it's contained. So I just uh, for the for a book to drop, catch casually that there's bathroom monitoring going on in the final page is just <laughs> the the es- the insanity escalates from here on out. Uh, what do you get in the middle of all that? You've had this 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 bomb dropped. You get uh, some rebranding, corporate rebranding. He gives a paragraph about how 64 Squares is going to change its name to the Phoenix, symbolizing that the corporation is rising after being cremated, which um, you might recall was foreshadowed in chapter one. The financial statements will have to be resurrected like a Phoenix. Oh, so it's all, man. Yeah. Like a long con. Like a circle in a circle. Like a wheel within a wheel. Uh, I did note on this, I did not remember that, by the way, but uh, isn't there is a Phoenix, isn't there a, a famous, like a mutual fund, Phoenix, I think is one of the oh. biggest ones. So, okay, I sure. I think you just, yeah. you just overlooked that. <laughs> yeah, the uh, two, $2 billion corporations with the same name might prove, uh, might prove to have some, some IP and trademark issues, but uh, that's neither here nor there. It just is a, uh, it's a very unnecessary detail at this point in time. And it, it doesn't, in my opinion, bode well for the chess museum, because if you go to 64 squares and the first two floors are um, taken up by a chess museum, that, may, that, that makes sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it makes some sense. If you go to the Phoenix and there are uh, people sneaking in checkers because uh, they want to play checkers with their family, it's, uh, it's a bit stranger to me. Maybe that kind of crap won't cut it anymore at the Phoenix now that it's not, <laughs> you know. It's a different kind of person there. Uh, look, we're uh, we're talking about the legend of a bird that was reborn. We're not doing this chess crap anymore. So right. maybe it's going to be rebranded. We don't know. Can we still, uh, is there still grilled food for us to sell to other people here? <laughs> of course. <laughs> sure, sure. That fits under the fire motif. So that's, well, that's going to fly. We have a dunk tank. That's, you know, you get you get wet and rise again, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but then here we go. I think this is the last paragraph of the book and it's just every sentence is worth discussing. I think. Yeah, this is, uh, it all comes together here. Uh, what do yeah, you, do you want to read the whole thing or do we go sentence? Yeah, let's, sentence? let's, let's go through it piece by piece. Well, sure. We can read the whole thing at once. Well, now let, I don't know. What do you think? All right, let's just go with piece by piece. Okay. Starts off. Any business can issue someone a criminal trespass just because they want to. And they have every right to tell the person what to do. That makes me sick. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, experts out there, this can't be true. Please confirm this. I mean, I don't sure. think we need to have confirmation of this, but I don't believe you uh, abdicate basic human rights when you work at an <laughs> office building. <laughs> I don't think you become, uh, an, an, well, this isn't even an indentured servitude. This is, I mean, this is slavery of some sort. Like they have every right to tell the person what to do and, yeah. and can brand them a criminal without any cause or so. Okay. 
No. So at the minimum, we're talking a a million dollar HR suit for wrongful termination. Yeah. At you know, I mean, that, I mean, at sure at the minimum, but that's also at a maximum. There is, as far as I know, there's nothing about wrongful termination that would land a high powered executive in prison for decades without possibility of parole. Um, because of a, a no. marriage dispute. Obviously not. Even if it was, yeah. Even if they, with that information, like, look, uh, yeah, I was trying to get him out of the way because uh, I like this chick that the judge would still be like, well, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. It's not, it's not <laughs> right, but let's reinstate his position and uh, let's slap you with a fine. Yeah. 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 You're going to, he's going to get millions of dollars and be happy and take Pam on a much nicer honeymoon. But but a very important detail that I think would factor into that, if you're firing someone who was the kind of guy that upon the firing would go out and obtain eight tons of explosive rope yes. and blow up the biggest building in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada as retribution, your you know, your 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 intent might not have been um on the up and up, but you're the ends justify the means here to get this dangerous maniac as far away from your, your billion dollar corporation as possible. Yeah. The fact that the judge, what, what was his name? Slappy Gavel judge or whatever. Gavel. <laughs> yes. Judge Gavel. I forget what it was. Bang Gavels. Yeah. Uh, doesn't take that into consideration. I mean, shocking. It's not really a judge at that point, right? Like (laughs) I, yes, I took his favorite stapler. Um, I did, I stole it and I hid it. And when he asked for it, I didn't give it back. Uh, he went out and, uh, slaughtered (laughs) 500 people. Um, the judge go, well, I don't understand why you're even bringing this up. My God, let's keep focused (laughs) here, people. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a stunning, um, uh, miscarriage of justice like you said earlier and i think that uh that peter graham would probably be regarded as a folk hero um you know based on you know having done the right thing like in retrospect like he didn't do it for the right world but like he would have the sort of uh you know the richard jewel like uh like uh he'd be his his image would be rehabilitated like after the fact even though he was sort of dragged through the mud in the first place. Right, right. Uh, I guess the only very very tiny consolation is that in prison, you know, he'll uh he'll be a badass. He'll probably, you know, come in as the leader of a of a pretty powerful <laughs> gang because they'll all be like, "All right, man, you did the right thing. You're you're one of us." And uh so yeah, I assume he will will gain his power in prison, but again, small comfort. Sure. Um, the next sentence, uh, after that makes me sick. And so a lot of people speculated upon this. We, we don't need to devote too much time for it, but a lot of this based in personal experience, you know? Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, you never want to go there with an author. Um, but, uh, the clues are all there. Let's just say, <laughs> yes. uh, this makes me sick. It was the thing that I think tipped a lot of people's hands, but, uh, yeah, a real, <laughs> a real burst of emotion in otherwise a list of, uh, financial statements does give, <laughs> shines a little bit of a spotlight on something that makes you wonder. Yeah. Uh, but he says, therefore, since the police did issue a criminal trespassing, the cat burglar, since he could not go back into 64 squares, he decided to blow it up. 
you know, as one does, as one goes out, looks up explosive rope, crafts it over a period of weeks, if not decades, rents a plane and uh, decides to blow it up. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you ever been fired? No. I was fired from uh, one job. Uh, it was a very, very ill-fitting job where I, I managed those, uh, those uh, check cashing places. <laughs> No, sure. Yeah, it's absurd to me now that I had this position ever, <laughs> and uh, you know, like a business that's usually on the up and up and is you know looking out for the community. Uh, they're, they're the worst. I used to tell people, "Don't come in here. Go just get, <laughs> go cash it at a bank. You're you're good. What yeah, <laughs> unless you're right. a criminal? Why are you coming here?" <laughs> um, but anyway, when when I got fired from that, uh, you know, it, it sort of stung because dang, now I need a job. Um, but uh, it it just it just never occurred to me to 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 go blow up the building go to a uh yeah to to go to a military surplus store and start asking questions <laughs> <laughs> i just realized i had to get my brakes fixed and i needed a new job right away so it's just right. it's just yeah. baffling to me <laughs> uh well yeah that's a good thing i'm sure that that uh Check uh, check cashy place and the inevitable four liquor stores uh, within a two block vicinity were probably uh, happy that you decided not to blow it up. Well, there was rubbish. There was no. Uh, uh, it was probably just coincidence that there was the blood bank next to it, the Arby's <laughs> two doors down, <laughs> and four liquor stores, like you say. Yes. <laughs> um, so he says. Uh, it goes on to say, no one likes to be told they cannot do something, such as go to visit his girlfriend at her office, and. I, 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 he proposed to her, so I guess that was his girlfriend. But how how close could they have been if Peter Graham was also planning to propose to her? It just makes you wonder, like, if she knew that either of these guys had any sort of interest in her, or if she just got that proposal a hundred percent by surprise as she was like going off to you know a paint and sip class on a Friday night, like, and and uh, Clef Treble proposes to her in her office. And she's just completely taken aback. It never says whether she accepted the proposal. Well, we have to assume, given who she is, that her that she has some insight into human beings. And so any guy named Clef Treble, first of all, who would be willing after the fact to to blow up a, a building, she had to have some inkling. There had to be some clues, you know, in his uh, you know, maybe the mad scribblings on his whiteboard at his shitty apartment or whatever, <laughs> probably with the tip off or or that he, you know, was he grumbled under his breath and, and threw hostile glances to everyone. And uh, yeah, he like he, he found her torture and stuff like that. Yeah, he like put his, you know, put, she she had her like lunches because she's the world's best cert- certified public accountant. She probably is a pretty buttoned down person. So she had her lunches laid out for the week in the office fridge. Um, with her name written on the Tupperwares. And one day she just like opened up Thursday and someone had taken a dump in it. Um, so, <laughs> and he was just sort of like standing outside of the office, looking at her as she opened it. <laughs> uh, he tells her a story about, you know, brags about uh, uh, how many AK 47s he's rebuilt. And then talks about the time he once uh, he saw a deer in the middle of the road, instead of helping it, like I cut its throat and looked in its eyes as it died. <laughs> Like, you know, so the proposal was a, a flat no, I've got to be assuming. He named his Fortnite character after her and constructed the avatar to be like a hypersexualized version of her and then would take videos um, when she was getting like, you know, sniped uh, in the game and he would post them to her Facebook wall. <laughs> this has gotten dark. 
uh, his mixtapes were uh, were a clue. <laughs> yeah, it was just the sound of a dog that he uh, gotten hit by a car is dying. Oh, dying yeah. yeah. Um, uh, anyway, uh, so uh, the uh, the these these text goes on, and it's um, this is just pure. It go. It is at a, probably it's at, it's at like a twelve on a scale of one to ten, and he takes it up to a nineteen or so. Um, let's just read it all. Yeah. It is legal for people to be mean. This all could have been avoided if everyone would have been nice to each other. Checkmate. Another case solved till the next case that is unsolved. My team and their spy equipment will be ready. Set up the board for another case. <laughs> so this was another one. I thought that just the, so it is legal people for people to be mean. Uh, true. This all could have been avoided if everyone would have been nice to each other. A, a familiar Bob Craneish theme. Then checkmate. I thought the checkmate, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the chess motif, I, I mean, I, I loved that. I thought it came in a little early. I thought that could have been the last uh, sentence of the book. I don't know if you thought about that, but oh, especially yeah. an, an ending. Yeah. I mean, it's way stronger so I, than I, set up the board for another case. <laughs> if we don't know if they're using checkers or if they're using chess for that. But yeah, I, I imagined he was sort of like, at this point in time, pacing around his, his office doing that, like, uh, breathing deeply, but then going back to the keyboard and banging out another sentence. So he wrote checkmate, but then he, he paced back and forth for 20 minutes. And then it was like, had the idea for those final three sentences. Um, and just uh, jotted those down as well. Because it is uh, bookended by pretty powerful sentences, you know, the checkmate and set up the board. We're, we're overlooking another case solved till the next case that is unsolved. That's, that's pretty <laughs> strong. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that is. And, you know, it checks out logically, but it's so good. I mean, it just is like a uh, it's like a cone. You know, it is a what is the sound of one hand right. clapping? Yep. Oh man! But yeah, his team and their spy equipment will be ready. Missed opportunity not listing the uh, the cones and listening devices, such as seen on the sidelines of football games, uh, cameras to take pictures, uh, drones to take video, earpieces, yeah, all of that. <laughs> Contact lenses that can read the writing on a dime from two hundred yards away. None of man. which all we should note came into play <laughs> at all. That's true. I guess we did have bugs, um, but yeah, nobody nobody used the. Uh, the special contacts that we had to swear not to tell our enemies about. <laughs> well, oh man, there it is. Yeah. That was uh, a ton of fun. That last uh, paragraph, boy, oh boy. I, I gave it to, uh, I gave it to our, our Rift Tracks coworker, uh, Sean, and I <laughs> walked out of the office and just heard the laughter from down the hall. <laughs> Came back in yeah. and was like, what is this? <laughs> I showed it to Lauren last night. It just has, you know, I have, I have, I think, two dozen exclamation marks on that last page, just of things I noticed and circles and stuff like that. And she, she, this was the first thing she had really sat down and read. So I think that probably colored her expectations a bit. But yeah, the exact same thing, just like laughing to the point where she couldn't breathe. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's like, it's probably worth if, if anyone knows Morgan Freeman, um, ask him to record that last paragraph. I'd love to hear him read that. So, oh yeah, um, call that paper. Uh, I, th- I but, think a selection of those. If we can find anyone, um, <laughs> get them as little Easter eggs. That'd be nice. Sure, uh, but yeah, I think well, we we might as well we conclude with some dumb sentences. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period. 
four and that's all right dumb sentences and there were a plenty in this one um but I mean, we we touched on a lot of them because a lot of them really stood out so let's go through these kind of quickly uh, if we've already covered them we'll indicate as much justin Another case solved to the next case that is unsolved. A, ah, there you go. Yep. It's not going to be, not going to be, uh, it's going to be hard to top that, I think. But Colleen, the cat burglar terrorist had the opportunity to carry out this criminal act because of the 64 square skyscraper building was indeed blown up. But did he have the means? Did he have the means? <laughs> Philip, <laughs> no telling where Jack Starr, now not CEO or not chief executive officer of 64 Squares, will end up working. We covered that, but I don't think we focused on how funny it was that not uh, made it into the spelling out of CEO both times. Yes, I, I also had that as dumb <laughs> sentence as well. Uh, Christopher. Clef Treble, a 64 Squares employee that was fired by Peter Graham, the COO or the chief operations officer, was guilty of terrorism of a building. Um, also a Dutch Don, but also delightful to revisit. Theodore, mm-hmm. this evidence has to be carefully pieced together in a logical manner before the guilty criminal can be protected by the prosecutor that has a great case to bring against the criminal or, in this case, a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's something from the beginning of the uh, this section that just really got uh, lost in the shuffle uh, uh, with all the doings at the end of the book. But the prosecutor protecting the criminal, or in this case, a terrorist, is a is a, is a nice piece of writing. Elizabeth, there are some of those um, Bob Cranian things that I, I think it would be uh, challenging to write because you're you know it twists your head around so many times. It's like I wonder if you could even write that if you tried. You know, well, yeah. it's a little bit different kind of fan fiction than just you know, listing his stupid names and his uh, titles behind it. Uh, it'd be harder to actually write a sentence like that. Yeah, it's like doing math in like base eight or something where all of a sudden the numbers don't mean what you have right. uh, what they've always meant to you. So you have to just it, it requires reworking your brain. It's right. insane. <laughs> um, uh, Elizabeth says her sentence was some people get very upset when information is being kept from them. It's another one that <laughs> we covered, but uh, it's, it speaks to maybe the roots of the uh, root of the uh, what's going on here, just like the end of the end of the book did. Brad, the timing of the 64 square skyscraper building being blown up by the cat burglar terrorist will never be a great event. We're just hitting the greatest hits here. Uh, Janelle, 64 squares could not operate without them work hard. <laughs> I, <laughs> I forget which one that was all about, but that is uh, that is great. Uh, maybe it was about the uh, cafeteria workers who are overhearing all those enthusiastic people talking. Right. My sentence was uh, from a chapter that uh, actually I, I early on claimed I didn't see much to work with here, but it was where my dumb sentence came from. William Jackson and Rosie O'Neill questioned the employees of 64 Squares and mail questionnaires to the people that 64 Squares owes money and to mail their replies to the two auditors of the accounting firm TTAB, which stands for Total Tax Auditing Bookkeeping. It's just, a, oh, it's just an old-fashioned Thrashian mess. That is uh, kind of a hybrid of Bob Crane and uh, and, <laughs> and mundane, you know, just mundane detail. <laughs> yeah, lots of repetition, lots of uh, starts and stops, and uh, two characters that had no business being even mentioned once in the book, let alone having a whole chapter devoted to them. Right. You got anything that hasn't well, been touched is, on? Yeah, no, nothing that hasn't been touched on, but uh, I just want to uh, tell everyone – no farther questions. That, that's by far my favorite. The, the comma and the farther questions. Uh, sure. It's placed where it was. It was uh, pure poetry. Right. And imagining like the uh, like the judge in, uh, you know, uh, 
my cousin Vinny, like that sort of stentorian guy saying it is a, is a pretty fun thing to imagine too. That was, by the way, the great Fred Gwynn who played Herman Munster. Oh, sure. Just a, just a little fact for you. And the, the judge in that Al Pacino, you're out of Warner one is the uh, dad from Dirty Work. Oh, right. Jack that was my, Gordon, is that his name? That was going to be my other go-to, which I, I couldn't remember his name, and that's the only <laughs> thing I know him from. So, <laughs> right. Well, right. this has been a fun, fun ride. Um, Absolutely. We have to now think ahead and what we're going to do next. Uh, yeah. It would be tempting got, to go to book two, but I don't think we could handle that right it's away. It's very tempting. I think you need a, you need a break. Uh, yeah. you know, maybe we'll put up a poll, like what, what should we do? I think we got to delve into something that's written by a person who actually got it published just to just to switch it up and to, to not to not pick on the little guy again. But we yeah, that's kind of how that we out. did it. Yeah. A uh, big, big book and then a small book. And yeah, that's been a good pattern. So we might as well repeat it. I agree. So, just really quick, what's your what's your ranking of these? Um, what is the what is the, the the best to worst of the five books we've done here? Uh, is I this the worst that, of them all? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in terms of being my favorite, I'm still going to go with uh, Jim Tice as my favorite. Yes. Okay. This is probably second, although uh, Shatner Shatlart. Comes close, and then uh, the the two others are. <laughs> are <laughs> I was well, reminded well of down. the of the end of our motto with how how rushed and the reveal of this was. You know, there was there was things in the cat burglar terrorist reveal that reminded me of the uh, uh, curing cancer and all other diseases getting one sentence at the end of our motto. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. Thank you all, right. all for joining us on this journey. This has been uh, 372 pages. We'll never get back. Mike Nelson here. Connor Lestoka. Thank you so much. See you next time. Nice.